0: Hey everybody, it is the segment of Hit Rewind where we discuss the video games of 1981. Why do I sound like the guy from VH1? Uh, I love the 80s. <laughs> um, well, we are doing that. <laughs> yes, it's just my radio voice. Hi everybody, it's at the top of the hour. It's 13 degrees. It's cold as shit. No, it is uh, actually a nice sunny day. And uh, hey kids, uh, if you get the chance, I know we're all in quarantine, but at least look out the window and enjoy
1: the sun. Are you inside? Yeah, yet? I got no sun here. I got clouds. Really? It's wow. all going to be raining.
0: If uh, if you're stuck inside, you might be playing video games now. (laughs) Do you have a Raspberry (laughs) Pi to play all these old games we're going to mention? Because let's just say the home console versions tend not to be very good. Um, I am going to step back for a second and let John take over because it was a very long, brutal day at work. And uh, my brain is just uh, Swiss cheese right now. I'm not going to make it. Go ahead,
1: man. Take over. Hey, all right. Well, I know how we had talked about how uh, 80 was pretty good year some really uh, some important stuff came out and then I looked to 81 and holy crap uh, (laughs) this this year has some of the most important video games of all time that came out it's It's, like a floodgate I I mean it's just amazing yeah it's yeah it's kind of spectacular and I mean to give a little bit of context the US arcade market was generating like 4.8 billion dollars which, if you translate that into 2020 bucks, that's like $13.5 billion. Wow. Okay, so what, what do arcades bring in now? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, okay, it, 12
0: bucks look, is what was brought in last year.
1: <laughs> yeah. Look, look to barcade yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, barcades. Yeah, I'm going to say barcades are
0: definitely the takeover.
1: Yeah, it's like I couldn't tell you what an actual arcade would do these days because they're so few and far between. Yeah.
0: Well, not if you live in Oregon. There's arcades every fucking place. It's insane.
1: Uh, well, let's see. Some of these games that came out this year, though, is, uh, I definitely want to get rolling because this could go a while. Depending oh, okay. On <laughs> uh, but there was a game called uh, Space Dungeon by Taito, which is one of these very early twin-stick shooters. Okay. The idea was you, you're navigating this level of... Uh, well, multiple levels, but 36 rooms attached to this 6x6 uh, six six grid collection. And you're, you know, moving your little uh, spaceship around, you're collecting these uh, t- little treasures before you get to the collected bonus room that'll get you to the next one. But one thing that's kind of interesting about this is as you're climbing through the levels, the first nine of these levels have rhymes associated with them. Associated with them. So it'd be like, more to see on level three. Meet thy fate on level 8, and so on and so forth. But then once you hit level 10, the game goes, Sorry, there's no more rhymes. <laughs> and, but it won't display another rhyme until you reach level 100, Whoa. which then the counter, just, the counter just goes back down to 0, which then says, You're a hero on level 0. Is that
0: a common occurrence back then, is that once you got to uh, 100 that you would just basically start over again?
1: Pretty much. There was not necessarily any kind of level caps, it just kind of, like, uh, I think it's, what was it, uh, Donkey Kong, which we'll talk about later, where basically the game just kind of keeps going until it crashes.
0: Oh, I didn't know that it could crash, wow.
1: Yeah, it's like, essentially there was a point to which a lot of these games, you know, it, they would speed up to get more difficult because just kind of how the games were created, but there wasn't necessarily a, a finite ending that you would get, you would just kind of keep going as long as you kept pumping money into it and until the game literally broke. Huh. But usually you never got that far.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I'm terrible. I am terrible at the old-school arcade games because I feel like if I made it to level 3, it was a fucking miracle.
1: <laughs> now, this is one I've never played, but I, I found this one was interesting. It's a game called Jump Bug. Well, which I've is have never this heard of scrolling... Yeah, it's a... This... I was looking at screenshots it looks kind of interesting i kind of want to try it but it's this little scrolling platform shooter where you're controlling a bouncing car through a variety of these little landscapes uh-huh. i mean and basically the car is constantly jumping the only thing you can do is aside from shooting things with your uh, little bug you know uh you can adjust how high you jump with the uh, with like a little lever so it's it sounds like it's kind of a pain in the ass but at the same time, kind of fun, but it's notable because it was the first game that had both smooth horizontal and vertical scrolling. Wow! So as you're going, so as you're going up and jumping, yeah, the screen's constantly moving up and down as you're going uh, left to right. Is it kind of like Moon Patrol? In a sense, yeah, you can kind of kind of compare a little bit to it. It's it kind of like it'd be like a Mario Brothers, like Mario, like Super Mario Brothers. Oh, okay, okay. If if you were if you had kind of very limited uh, with what you really could do. Because, again, you're you're a car that's shooting things, but you're also consistently jumping. Uh, let's see. There was Rally X. Okay, which okay. Is really the game good. I know, because I, I didn't know the first two. the
0: first two ever hit home console?
1: Because I don't know them outside Rob, of the arcade. Well, I don't know if Jump Bug did. I wouldn't be surprised if Space Dungeon did. Okay. It, it, at this point, really, a lot of these games did have home console versions at some point because especially Atari just would put anything on their system. Totally, and Namco. Kind of- Namco
0: was king of the uh, the plug-and-plays about 15 years ago. That's how I played Rally X for the first time. I think it was the first time.
1: Yeah, so it's it, anything on here, you could probably bet there probably was a version of it on a home console, but I, I didn't do too much research on that only because, again, there's so many games that came out for it. Well, when we get to 83, we'll, we'll definitely talk about what happened. Oh, yes. <laughs> but uh, Rally X, which did hit in Japan in 1980, so I actually was holding off on talking about this one last time because I think what we're mostly caring about is the U.S. market. Right, and I didn't do the same so thing the on video X.
0: night is when we do yearly stuff, we always try to count the American release.
1: Yeah, and it's a, this is a little maze driving game where you are collecting flags while avoiding rocks and enemy cars and stuff. And what's cool about it is, like, you constantly have this fuel gauge that's uh, depleting as you drive. And in order to stop your enemies, you can use a smoke screen, which also depletes it. And it's so, it's a hell of a lot of fun. This is it one is. of the few games that I wish, I wish you could, again, find these retro arcades, too. Because this is one of the best, one of the, one of the best games that are played, especially from that era.
0: Right, I remember the controls being really tight. There wasn't anything frustrating. You're like, "Oh, how the hell did I not miss?" It? You know, you know that kind of thing. I, I thought that the Namco did a really good design on the controls.
1: Oh yeah, and it's yeah. That's the thing. Is like I'm playing this stuff in like the early you know early to mid '90s, and it still holds. And it was still holding up. And I have a feeling that if I popped in a quarter right now, the game would be still so intuitive and you know worthwhile. Right. Now here's where. Here's where things start to uh, become well known. Galaga. Oh, my jam! Which is funny because I could I could have mentioned you know you mentioned Gal- uh, Galaxian, and you kind of go like what? But then you say Galaga, and everyone goes, oh, I know that game. So that's because it is it is a sequel to '79's uh, Galaxian. This you know little top down spaceship shooter, kind of like space space invaders except the uh, your enemy ships AI was a lot better uh-huh. and this is like what true sequels were all about what all great sequels are all about is you take you take the basic concept of the first game and you build on it in every single meaningful way because again space invaders simple concept shoot the creatures as they thing Galaxian kind of kind of mixed up the thing by having the by having the aliens have a little more AI, they flew around and stuff. So they, so you were never kind of sh- sure exactly what was going to happen unless you played the game a lot.
0: Right. It wasn't the difference between Galaxian and Galaga is the fact that the ship can now move up instead of staying in place.
1: Yeah, you could move up, you could move around. The enemy ships flew around too. So you were always there was not a I don't want to say a three dimensional movement, but there was a lot more uh, movement involved in these in this game. Than you had before, yeah. and then now Galaxian comes along, and now ships can actually catch you in tractor beams, and if you rescue your crap one of your captured ships, it joins you on screen, and now you got two ships flying around blowing stuff up.
0: Yeah, there's there's so much joy in this game. The things that get you most excited is that was one of them. Uh, two was uh, when you would first start the screen as they would fly out towards you in a little spinning circle, if you could just get that right, perfect, and just hammer away at them before they even set up place, that was so thrilling.
1: Yeah, because that that's one thing. I, aside from playing this arcade, I remember this a lot from uh, playing Ridge Racer on the PlayStation because and as right. you started booting up the game, they started giving you that. And if you actually cleared the... if you you were good enough and cleared the levels you could actually get like bonus cars and tracks and stuff i totally forgot about that but yeah but that's just is this game still shows up in collections oh yeah if you find any sort of namgo collection galaga is one of the main titles on there
0: well my two favorite shooters from that time period are similar in a way i mean the way that centipede breaks down is differently than galaga but it's still about the intensity lining things up you got the random, like the spider bouncing through centipede, and then you have the the, the giant fly-looking one that has like the tractor beam on it, and then it would zoom around. And it just it, there's something similar in how it's intense and very fast, and just as they're getting closer to you too, and not in the same slow derivative space invaders way. The way that centipede and Galaga did it was completely different.
1: Well, let's let's jump ahead a little bit and talk about centipede. Okay, I didn't
0: realize that was 1981. I thought that was 82. Go ahead. Oh
1: yeah. That was an 81 game you know a little fixed shooter where you got your little trackball and you're you know, trackball like,
0: I, <laughs> I love the trackball now
1: <laughs> now I do have to ask do you know do you know what the story of uh of uh, centipede is
0: it is um I don't know I was gonna make up something funny but I got nothing go ahead
1: <laughs> oh, well no it's you got a little garden gnome who's you're armed with a magic wand and that's what that little weird really? thing is hi Yeah, you're what? A garden gnome And you're protecting your mushroom forest from these giant invading centipede spiders and whatever.
0: Oh, this makes so much more sense. I don't know why I thought it was set in space. And he was like a a little warrior, you know, like with a jetpack or something flying around.
1: I'm a moron. Just shut up. Just keep going. (laughs) Well, well, there's nothing about it that, unless you look at the side of a cabinet, there's nothing about that would really tell you that Oh, you're yeah. You're a dude armed with a wand. Yeah, you're like a little weird insect head or something, is what, is best you can tell. And you're shooting, shooting these creatures. And yeah, it's like there's no real thought. Yeah, you, like couldn't tell what that was about unless you like looked at like design docs essentially and stuff.
0: You know, it'd be a really cool but game. Yeah. Like idea... A off of Centipede, which oh. I don't think they've ever done this. If they have, correct me. Oh. Would it would be really neat if you had a two-player Centipede. And you were both gnomes riding on top of a centipede, and you blasted away at each other through this maze.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think I went did that. I know there was; they did have the sequel, Millipede. But uh, we'll talk. We'll go. To, we'll get onto that one, I'm sure, a little bit later. But this was also a game that was intended to attract a female audience. You know, one of the developers was a woman, so yeah. You know, she looked at it. You know, trying to make it a little more pastel, a little more colorful than some of these other games out there. And it did; it was pretty successful. So, you know, there's there's gonna be another story later on that's gonna be very interesting about that too. Okay. But uh, teaser. Let's back up. Let's back up to Defender.
0: Okay, I get you confused. A Defender? Defender is Defender a sequel to something? It's was Stargate a sequel to Defender or is it vice versa?
1: Stargate was a sequel to Defender. Okay, okay. But yeah, so the now this was the first horizontal scrolling shoot 'em up and you're sitting there shooting invading aliens protecting astronauts it's kind of like a mix between space invaders and asteroids a little more so like asteroid kind of how you have a little more free movement uh-huh. moving around but you still have your space invaders coming in and you gotta take them out and now this was this considered one of the most important titles especially at the time because it, like, it ended up selling over 55,000 units wow. and becoming like one of the highest grossing games ever. And I do not like Defender. It's so hard.
0: It's so friggin' hard.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just, it, it's not, not, especially of the games I'm going to talk about today, it's not the one that I've ever given up on as much. Like, I will, and every time I've had a chance to, yeah, I'll, I'll pop in a couple quarters, give it a shot for a little bit, remind myself, yeah, I, I don't like the control, and then kind of move on. Uh-huh. But, I will always give it a shot it's it is fun enough, and they've they've done remakes of this that varying levels of uh success to even kind of matching hell how...
0: I mean let's just say this Defender was so groundbreaking in its design that for the next decade you had games copying it off like the, especially the um uh turbo graphics. There are so many games of turbo graphics that uh were very similar in its design, and uh, well, there's so many shooters just period would well, actually... just elaborate on top of those.
1: Well, the next Greetings. one I'm talking about, uh, Scramble, is actually more so the one you're probably thinking of. Oh, okay. Because Scramble is, uh, again, horizontal side-scrolling space shooter, but it was the first space shooter that gave you a forced scrolling. So you're constantly going to the right.
0: Okay, so you could stop. Well, Defender is also the first game, I believe, to give you kind of um, a map of what was coming.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. You did have your little mini-map. You were able... And, again, you were able to fly around and stuff. So, there, like I said, the asteroids kind of thing, you had a little mo- lot more movement, but you were more or less fixated in a singular area, whereas Scramble, again, you're consistently moving, and there's unique each, as as you kept going around, the levels were distinct and kept changing. So you had, like, six specific sections that you would end up flying through.
0: And is this does this game have Vectrex in it? Because when the pl- the ships explode, I, it feels like Vectrex. It looks unusual.
1: Oh God! Uh,
0: yeah, I believe so. Or, or is Vectrex all one? You can only be Vectrex because Defender. I don't know if you can combine well, both we had, technologies. We had,
1: well, well, no, no. Uh, Defender was Victor graphics. Okay. But no, this this one this one was more like was more regular pixel. Armor. Oh right, yeah. I'm saying Vectrex because that's yeah. the
0: system. Vector graphics. I like, no. I'm sorry. I apologize,
1: everybody. Uh, yeah, I'm, try- yeah like, I'm trying to think of like, I'm trying to think of like some of the effects in it, though. If they had had little vec, any kind of vector things when you like when you dropped your bombs, blue stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, if anything like that. Um, but, sorry.
0: Go yeah, ahead. I, I apologize for taking us back to Defender. What was the next game? Uh, I apologize. Go ahead.
1: Oh, well, the one we're talking, yeah, talking about Scramble right now. Okay. Now this uh, one I
0: don't remember.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I will say this. I have played it. I know this. I couldn't. Uh, I could tell you more games that were based off of what Scramble did, though. You know, it's like R-Type and basically any other side-scrolling shooter that you ever played past this, past the uh, the mid mid to late '80s. If you've played that, you've played a game that basically built off what Scramble did, and it's. You know, Scramble's fine. You know, you move it around. You got, you know, you try to avoid the terrain as you fly up and down, shoot things, bomb things, all that kind of good stuff. Uh It's, you know, very straightforward. I'm not going to go like it's the most classic of games, but it is definitely one of those games that birthed a genre, a specific type of genre. Now, Tempest.
0: Oh, my God, Tempest. Holy shit, make me crazy. That game is nuts.
1: Yeah, a three dimensional and. I kinda use three dimensions in quotations, vector shooter, where you got this little claw like ship on that you're controlling with like a little dial, spinning it around the top of this little tube and half pipe thing. And basically you just try to survive as long as possible shooting all these different ships that come towards you. Now this is a game I hate Oh, percent like, so But it's but it's because when I first tried to play this game and this is like like with Tron as well. I did not understand what I was doing. <laughs> so I did not get it. And so I just sit there and in my head, this game is worthless and blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, I don't ever want to play Tempest.
0: So many games. I'm sure. So many games I would do that because Cubert, uh, I didn't understand the three-dimensional qualities of it. I didn't understand, like, what's the glove? Glax or something like that? Clax clacks. Marvel Madness? Yeah. The, the games like that, I just, oh, when I don't have a straightforward, you know, if it's an unusual way of looking at something, I, I guess Zaxxon's the same thing. It frustrates me to no end.
1: Yeah, see, Zaxxon I was good at. I had that on the PC. Uh, q I've only recently played in a remake version that came out for, like, the PlayStation 4. So I've, I finally played that. Uh, Marvel Madness I've loved. But, yeah, there's, there's something about some of these games and and something to be said about the time where, you know, you want to talk about uh, Demon Souls and all these uh, games from From Software, where the uh, thing is get good, scrub. Yeah, well, you know, fuck around with Tempest sometime, asshole. Yeah, learn learn how to get good. I just but some of these no. things, like the ships, yeah, some of these ships had, di- you know, different behavior patterns. And then as you progress, the enemies like start laying spike traps on you. They'll jump lane to lane. It just there's a lot to that thing, and like uh, as you progress, some of the levels turn into like they're like called the black levels because you can't really see what you're doing. Cause you don't get to you'll get the vector level, so you're having to kind of figure out how much of the level you've got to go around. So yeah, that's that's definitely uh, definitely one that. If you're good at it, I give you some props. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Not an easy one.
1: But also out this year was Frogger. Ooh! I love Frogger. Now... Oh, that's a challenge, though.
0: It's so challenging.
1: Such a simple concept, because all you do is you take your little frog, get him across a busy street and some waterways to get him home. And now... uh, this is what I was kind of teasing a little bit before. Uh, even though this game went on to be, like, a huge hit, the U.S. publisher had absolutely no faith in it because it, look, it looked too cute, and it was, you know, they kind of, you know, pass it off as, oh, it's a women and kids game. Oh, but did they learn uh, anything
0: from the previous year with Pac-Man? That's how that shit works.
1: That oh, exactly. This is the guy where I'm going. Uh, Elizabeth Falconer, who was this marketing act at the time, uh, was looking to... Uh, was trying to pitch some of these ideas to license to their the executives of the company, and when they were you know kind of like passing it off, just sat there and speculated that some of these executives were the same ones that turned down Pac-Man.
0: Oh jeez,
1: Laura, it's all they fired. You're them. all fired. Get out of my office. They shut the fuck up after that. <laughs> uh, she, still, she still had to convince them, uh, so she she got them to agree to doing a p- uh, play test at this like bar. And, you know with mostly male patrons of course and the game did well so had this you know had, had this person not you know not look at this thing and go you know what this game would be fun to license this this is very simple it's it's eye-catching it's easy enough you know to to start but challenging to do we should give this a shot you know, this one person didn't, you know, wasn't tasked to just kind of dig through crap to look for a game. We never would have gotten a game that's lasted this entire time.
0: Yeah, it's uh, and it, it, we wouldn't have a, uh,
1: the whole episode of Seinfeld devoted to it. <laughs> yes, I I hate Seinfeld, but the Frogger episode is the best thing. <laughs> the best thing <laughs> okay, we're on different spectrums with that one. But
0: also, we would have the classic Buckner and Garcia song, Frogger. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. oh well, they have what? They Oh, well, they did a frog or one. They did a centipede song if yep. I remember right. Centipede no, Anything?
0: it's Centipede I Love You it's such a weird ass fucking Is that what it No, it's not. It's ET I Love You or something. It's something ridiculous. They have they have the Donkey do the Donkey Kong. Um Oh well, well, this is gonna come up how on about another
1: we I'm we're I'm gonna torture you with Buckner and Garcia in nineteen eighty two. Oh man yes we'll both i think we'll both have challenging music for 82
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what's sad is but it's the sidestep for a second i feel bad that oh, i don't we did start in 1980 maybe that was a little too early but i thought that was a good starting point because a lot of it's about personal discovery for us and i it, this, these aren't peak years for me it's not until like 83 84 is when i really you know, like yeah i can talk about movies and music and games more because i was six by then uh, most of this I would discover later By going to arcades And they would have the classic corner And stuff like that That's how I experienced these And uh, I'm going to get a Raspberry Pi built And I'm going to get all the main versions of these Because the home versions mostly suck
1: Well that's, that's one thing I appreciate these days Are these You know it's like I go into a Sam's Club Or even Walmart And you get those arcade cabinets That have multiple games built into them And some of these ones You sit there and go Yes, I very much would want this arcade cabinet that has, you know, 600 games that mostly are now, at this point, somewhat licensed. Right, okay, and so they have
0: those. See, we have them at our workplace, but it's only two games, and it costs $200, and it's only a half console.
1: Well, there's... well, the, Also, there's the ones that, uh, again, at Walmart, where you get, like, oh, yeah, you can get Ninja Turtles in Time and, you know, three three Ninja Turtles games, or one that I actually kind of really want, which is... Marvel. Uh, oh God, so
0: Captain America. It's not
1: Street Fighter versus Marvel. Oh, it's okay. not Street Fighter versus that, but it's yeah, it's like it's the Captain America or well, it's Avengers game. Well, there's one in '92 no, called no, Captain sorry, America and
0: the Avengers, which I really enjoyed.
1: No, I'm sorry, I, I got it wrong. It's X. It's the X-Men arcade game, the Punisher arcade game. And then Marvel, and then it's like the Marvel fighting game. Oh, you know what I want? I want and the Simpsons.
0: We're getting off topic here, sorry. But I'll wrap this up. I want the Simpsons fighting <laughs> game on one of those. Okay, so back to the classics. It's back to
1: 1981. Back to classic. Okay, now for the arcades, the biggest thing that came out and the longest running thing and do I really have to talk, you know, say much about it? But yes, let's do it. Chicken Cross Road game. <laughs> <laughs> it is Donkey Kong. Or, his
0: you the, know. or the porno version, Conky Dog. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> so embarrassed, but I said that it worked, but I couldn't stop laughing. Conky Dog is just, oh, so a juvenile. I'll shut up now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you all know this one. Jump Man, a carpenter that was later uh, later became the plumber Mario, has to save his girlfriend Pauline from the titular giant ape. Yeah, and uh,
0: who knew from this one game an entire what would lead to a company saving the video game world? And it just, it's just—it's—it's yeah, been what forty
1: years yeah. almost,
0: still so prolific. And, it,
1: and let's also be honest: it's made by the same guy who basically saved the video game things as well. But it's—you know, like like Pac-Man. This game does have cutscenes that move the little bit of plot that this game does have. It does have us forward, and basically, this is the result. Of Nintendo failing to make any actual headway in the U.S., they uh, made this little Space Invaders clone called Radar Scope, and yeah, again, we didn't talk about it. <laughs> right? Oh, you know what?
0: I thought it was Popeye.
1: You're right; it was Radar Scope. Well, yeah, it was Radar Scope because the company president, just, you know, wanted to see if they could, you know, take these unused cabinets and recycle them into something else. And this guy, uh, this this young little Young little dude, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, felt that he could. And so, yeah, at the time, they had this license for a Popeye game. And as, you know, as they were building, you know, as they were trying to do this, the license falls through. And so they started restructuring this project. So, yeah, Popeye became Jumpman, Bluto became the, uh, Popeye, well, Mario's uh, angry pet ape, and Olive Oil ended up becoming Pauline. Oh, yeah. So, okay. How do you do, I must was, have known
0: this. I feel like I knew this, but I never gathered it in my head before. But that's brilliant.
1: And so they had a very, very straightforward uh, build for, you know, it's like kind of an idea of what they were going to do. And so they had, and they had like a story kind of constructed for what they were going to do. But they hadn't finished, you know, any real programming. So essentially they kind of were able to get around to to doing the uh, this game uh, by restructuring it uh, a little easier, because they had some concepts, a little bit of an idea of what they wanted to do, and so they just had, ended up going, yeah, here we go, Bluto, he, he, giant is now a monkey, you know, so on and so forth. And so they ended up, you know, as they're going along, they end up deciding... You know, we also want to make this make sure that we appeal to a North American market, so this game is going to have an English title. And so, yeah, uh, you know, there's there's a few different you know stories behind why it's called Donkey Kong, but the most the closest to the fact is Miyamoto kind of felt that it was going to uh, kind of be a nogalist to the uh, idea of stupid ape okay because donkey donkey of course like jackass and Kong you know like King Kong you know it's not which no, that would a of transition. course lead to a serious <laughs>
0: legal case uh, the next year
1: yeah it's like it's not necessarily that it was a misspelling or or anything like that it's just yeah you know kind of wanted to have an idea of this was a dumb monkey yeah it's a, it's such a it's, and... it's
0: one of those games that's so hard to master, but easy to play. And that's what's so appealing about it. And if it wasn't for this game, not only would we not have Nintendo, we would have a brilliant documentary <laughs> where I could <can> hate
1: <laughs> Billy, um... oh, shit. uh, shit. Yeah, I, I the can't remember his the name? game's name. It, the guy who, oh, well, the guy who also was discovered that he was full of shit yeah. and, uh, and didn't do anything that he said he did and got all his records pulled. <laughs> Right. he's a damn dirty cheater. I have
0: to know his name. God, I remember they were going to do a live-action uh, adaptation of it with Ben Stiller as him, and I thought that was a brilliant choice. Billy Mitchell, Steve Weeby. that's right. This is one of the craziest movies, by the way. We should discuss that down the road, um, because I've never been more fascinated by outcasts, like these guys who, in the normal world, mostly do not fit in. It's just so fascinating to me. Did I lose you? Yeah, and yeah, oh.
1: <laughs> who knew that you would have the no who knew that you would have all these uh, like like champ you know, I mean especially at the time, championships for video games and things like that, and that it would actually be something of importance. Right. It's or a... at least perceived that way by yeah, true. by a large a fairly large group.
0: Well, I think, I think uh, it's that way with any now, niche entertainment the, thing. I mean, oh, look at us. You, me, Andrew, and a few other people are really locked into podcasting. Yes, we're it, We're a very small fish in a very, very big pond all of a sudden in the last couple of years. But I still I, – it's it's the thing that I adore and I love learning more about it. I love sharing it with other people in the podcast
1: world. So, I mean, I understand why it groups up in video games as well. Yeah. Well, it's like it, the idea of the, being the competitive gaming – and especially in something like these old arcade games, where you're going for top scores, it's yeah, you never. It's hard to believe that that became a thing, but at the same time, it's like, well, yeah, games like Donkey Kong, where it's a race to get as many points as possible before the game crashes. You know, kind of becomes a fun thing and almost something that you could almost gamble to. Yeah, that's true.
0: All right, what else do we have?
1: Now, oh, Dirt, now let's move on to, like, the home, the home world. Okay. We have one of the one of the big things. You had a couple of little computer stuff uh, came out this year, including one thing that lasted quite a while, which was the IBM personal computer. Yay! Yep. That, that was but really SB subdued, but really it was so important. <laughs> yeah, and... One of the things that you could get on your DOS operating software was a game called Donkey. It was included free. Now, it's nothing really much to talk about. It's like, you know, oh, you know, the those old, like, uh, what was it, that little, God, what was that game that you that you get on PC more? Oregon Trail? Like, yeah, the, the little snake. The snake. Oh, the snake. okay. Where it's, basically, this one was, you're on a, you're, Racing around a little area, and you gotta avoid hitting donkeys. Now, why am I bringing this game up? Because this sounds really stupid, and again, just random programming thing. This game was co-developed by Bill Gates. What? <laughs> oh wait, no, I think so, I knew yeah. that from
0: the Pirates of Silicon Valley. I forgot about that.
1: But yeah, that's one of those one of those random things where if you could find you know find very old uh, find a very old program of DOS, yeah. You could, uh, play some play some original, uh, a Bill Gates original. That's
0: amazing. I, it's, it's, it, the little things that, well, I mean, what's, uh, 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 Steve Jobs also came from a game, too, so these little games basically, uh, built them up into becoming the leaders they are today. Well, okay, sorry, Steve Jobs is gone, but you know what I mean.
1: Okay, and we also have, where do we go? Uh, now on uh, the Intellivision, there was uh, a game called Utopia that came out. Well, let's also mention
0: the fact that Intellivision I, is brand new this year, right? No,
1: uh, Intellivision was last year.
0: Was it? Okay, so every, is this when they did the huge marketing push with Bill uh, Bill Plumpton?
1: Yeah, they were they were pushing the hell out of this out of the system during the time, uh, and again, lots of games came out for it. I'm, it's it would take forever to talk about everything. But yeah, this is definitely. Like, Utopia is definitely worth mentioning because it's the first god-slash-city-building game. And also, basically, the game that... Uh, like, the first turn-based strategy game. And real-time strategy game. Basically, it's this two-player game where each player controls an island. And you can either sit there and build up your own resources and then maybe engage your uh, your opponent. Or you can... Uh, you just keep kind of going for a higher score and try to beat your, beat your opponent that way. Right? Yeah. And it's like, you have to keep, your, you have to keep your population happy and safe. <laughs> if not, you can, you can uh, end up facing rebel activity. Or again, if you want to fuck with your opponent, you uh, pay for rebel activity to happen on your opponent's island. Is this, is this a text heavy game? Uh, from what I've looked at it, it's, it does have graphics. It does have two little islands, I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure there's a shit ton of text, but, uh, I mean, it's in television. Television really wasn't that, you know, that sophisticated in, like, how much you could do on the screen, so i right. sure, Well, I mean, that's what they like, pushed,
0: though, was that it was so much more sophisticated than Atari, but when you look back at now, you can barely tell the difference.
1: Yeah, it's like, screen, if you look, look for some screenshots of this, because this... I am I'm impressed with how much stuff is on there. And again, reading about this, it's this game was Civilization before, it was, before Civilization ever came out. Did uh, Did you I ever really play wondered, the Intellivision? I'm
0: curious because I've never touched one. I've never
1: played it. I know I have. I have played the Intellivision. I could not remember anything about this. Okay. This was a thing when I was like, like I was what five or six or something like that. I know because I also I had an I had an Atari 2600 as well but that apparently I remember having it for longer than apparently I did cuz my dad said it like crapped out after a week. <laughs> <laughs> and I seem to remember having it longer but that could have also been like daycare. You know, oh okay.
0: Like yeah, that. I we found one at a garage sale around 1990, 1991. It came with like 30 games and I played the shit out of that. And I started collecting them later, but I never had a game system I rarely ever had a game system when it actually came out. I always got it towards the end of its run or way after the fact. So I never got to play Coleco. I never got to play television. I can't – I feel like there's no – of course, I don't know anybody who's ever played Vectrex.
1: Yeah, I, I had a – We, my family had a Commodore 64, and I, I might have mentioned this in the last show, but uh, I have very clear memories of – yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I did mention this because we were talking about the fact that I played a BC video game. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, I never owned an Intellivision. I'm pretty sure I played it because I do remember that damn controller. <laughs> but, uh, but it's like, yeah, I, I remember seeing collections come out when I used to work at a video game store, and I always kind of wondered, because I remembered that controller. just kind of went, how the hell are you going to play that on <laughs> PlayStation
0: 2? Yeah, it's, it's really weird.
1: Now, also that came out, and this is for the PC, or for Apple Two, really, let's... I think it actually, maybe it had a PC port, but at least Apple II, uh, was Ultima. There's a subtitle to that, but I'm not going to read that. Uh, and it's the first game in the Ultima RPG series, which I think they're still making games for? I think so, yeah. Maybe, yeah, it's like, it's it's been running a long, it ran for a long time. I have played one of them, you know, back in the early 90s. I think it was like Ultima 4. And I couldn't make heads or tails of that damn thing. <laughs> it's so These games are so, they are so dense. Like, I, I'm sure if I played it now, I'd love it, but yeah, at the time, it was a little. I was a little too young for it. But it's this uh, top-down, third-person overworld, and then you have dungeons that you get into that are in the first-person perspective. And it's had this uh, character creation system based off of, like, D&D and other tabletop RPGs where, like, Say you put points in your strength, you get added, added uh, combat damage. Or if you put in charisma, you get better deals with merchants and stuff. So you actually had to, you know, and, and there's races and things like that too that give you your own bonuses. So you, you sit there and actually tailor make your character to your play style. Something that all these young kids these days with their uh, with their modern day RPGs think you know think is something new. No, 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 people. Ultima did this first.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, now, it's, it's truly groundbreaking in how we, this stuff, the technology, I feel like in one year, jumps so far. It's amazing. We don't really have jumps like that anymore, but just, it's, it's, uh, it feels like a decade's
1: worth of jumps just in, in one year. It's, it's, it's uh, awe-inspiring. Yeah, especially because this game, it, not only, it's like all, anything that you can think of that, that you do in an RPG came really kind of came from, well, came from Dungeons & Dragons, but came came from this. But it also had a thing where you had to manage your food supply, where literally, if you run out of food, you die. And this game is a fantasy game. I did, I did enjoy reading this part. This game is a fantasy game, but it also has a space shooting section. And it's just there because the guy wanted to fill up all the space on the disc. He had a little bit of room left. He's like... Okay, at this point, we're now gonna start flying in space and shooting shit. It's like got no real point other than, yeah. My... <laughs> uh oh, coffee. Now I'll do what. One... Now one more RPG and then uh, something I I know that you'll, you you would have appreciated. I kind of look play. What? Too. Uh, well, first... No, I like
0: RPGs. <laughs> it's just the early ones. I don't get yeah. excited until like the late eighties. Oh.
1: Oh, Wizardry. Did you ever play that?
0: Uh, no. Wait, have I? No, okay. I, it,
1: was, it was a PC game? You, probably not. Well, this, was, this did get ported to the NES later. But okay. okay, maybe then I have. Because I used Wizard- to have the yeah.
0: Nesticle, the greatest name ever for uh, <laughs> NES. And, and <laughs> yeah, bro.
1: Yeah. Uh, this one, this is a... This game is a damn near impossible RPG. Uh, you can't save in the... It's a... Your first-person dungeon crawler, you you can't save in the dungeons, and because there's no auto-map, you actually had to make your own maps. And it had permadeath. Oh, what? so you Oh, permadeath. The second you die, that's it. You literally have to oh, start right. the there's entire no continuations. game over. Okay. And all and all the maps that you did, well, sucks to be you. You made you made those maps. You might as well just burn them now. Oh no. Yeah, it I remember playing my a friend of mine, Russell, uh he owned it and let me borrow it. And he loved that game. He was great at that game. He knew you know, he had you know binders and binders filled with maps and stuff and No. No, no. I'll I'd play Final Fantasy, I'll play anything else, but wizardry wizardry breaks people. Again <laughs> go, back to, go back go back to this modern day thing of get good scrub. Yeah, fuck with wizardry you know, tell me how to get good. But okay, here's one I've never heard of this game and I really think you'd appreciate this because it's a game called Crush, Crumble, and Chomp. Those are the guys from the you Rice Krispies, a... right? It's <laughs> <laughs> well, a game where you create a kaiju and then stomp all over a town. <gasps> that sounds amazing. What was that on? What system? Uh, this was on Apple II. No, Uh you... right. Yeah, it's like you create a, you know, you make a Godzilla-type monster, a moth. A blob, a giant spider, uh, a kraken, and a giant robot, and basically, it, it was like rampage in a sense, where you just got points for destroying the town, and even if you died, even if, even if the, uh, the the military forces killed you, it's you still could win the game. It was still designed that you were you could do whatever you wanted, as long as you just caused as much chaos as possible. And it, I mean, even for graphics of that time, I kind of think it looks like ass. <laughs> well, wow. I really, I really want to play it. It's when I was doing the research on this, I saw that went, ooh, I, this is, a, this is the game that really speaks to me. You know, the bad thing about the PC
0: games, it seems like a lot of them are lost. A lot of them that it's so hard to do. Like, well, with consoles, you always find a way to update the software. It seemed to be, uh, you know, because there are cartridges. We got, we got floppy disks, man, that deteriorate and it would be handled badly. So you got a decade before the uh, the hard disk would come out of the CD and it just seemed like a lot of those games were probably gone, which is a shame.
1: Well, it's even then. Some of them, they just can't run. On right, that's it. yeah, game. yeah. It's like, uh, try playing any of the original Fallout games on, on a PC these days and they, see, they seem to just break or at least that's my experience with them. Uh, <sighs> but it's like, Last last one for for us today is going to be Castle Wolfenstein. Never heard of it! (laughs) (laughs) Well, technically, you you probably not have, because this was this old stealth action shooter where you sneak around a castle in Nazi Germany, look for these secret plans, and you kill SS guards. It's, you know, uh, it's kind of like Berserk almost, in a way. Oh, it was that style. Okay. It was that... I mean, uh, definitely it was... It was designed for a lot more sneaking where it's like you could find guards' clothes and put them on and sneak around and stuff. There was a lot more strategy involved than just running around shooting things. But, yeah, basically, if if, if if you've ever seen Berserk, that's kind of what Castle Wolfenstein looks like. It's mostly notable because it was remade like a decade later as Wolfenstein 3D, which then kicked off all the first, you know, what we think of as the modern first-person shooter. right. And constantly being threatened by,
0: um, oh, I had the joke there. Who is the guy who directed Resident Evil? Damn it, uh, Paul Anderson. Oh, uh, Always threatening to yeah. direct a version of Wolfenstein. No.
1: Yeah, Paul W. S. Anderson. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <sighs> but yeah, that. But I think of of all the stuff that came out in '81, you again, you had some of the, you know, like some of the biggest games, some of the most well known things that still, that still show up in in the in the zeitgeist today and some of the games that basically invented all the games that you love 81 with the exception of what happened in 83 i think 81 might be the most important video game the uh, year in video games ever
0: it's pretty pivotal i never realized how much that year like all those games are so critical in new designs and and control schemes and stuff like that uh, just pushing it forward so fast. I, I'm now. I'm a little scared. That 82 is
1: gonna suck. <laughs> yeah, it's like I I haven't peeked ahead into 82 yet, but I'm I I know there'll be stuff to talk about. And if anything, I mean, I I didn't I didn't do too much research on this, but one of the first real video game magazines debuted in 81, which kind of started off video game journalism. But even then, I mean, there's there were in a way pc mags also and all these things kind of happen but uh you know it's like i'm more i'm more interested just the games themselves yeah it's uh i'm eager to hear
0: what's happening i'm just curious if it's going to hit this level but that brings us to the end of this episode because i'm losing my voice which is a little nerve-wracking because you know what happens we all know what's going on uh maybe i'm just tired uh, so uh, any plugs you want to throw out there before we go?
1: Keep checking out everything that we got uh, from Hit Rewind. We got some. I I am particular a huge fan not only of our previous uh, video games episode but our music episode and yeah. especially yeah we got some good music on that and definitely when we get to the to eighty one of music we definitely have some good music there too
0: yeah so if you are a follower of retro rock entertainment I am. We're reborn, we're Phoenix Out of the Ashes, as Hit Rewind, because I'm getting older, I can't keep doing 12 different shows at the same time, it's all going to be Hit Rewind. I want you guys to be focused on one show, yes, each episode will be different, but in kind of reoccurring segments. So, we're going to start off with 1980, we'll do like the music, the movies... The cartoons and comics and stuff like that of that year, then we move on to 1981, which is where... Well, okay, hold on. I haven't finished 1980 yet. We're recording this ahead of time because he's moving. So uh, I have to finish one or two more episodes of that year, and then we move on to 81. And it's just kind of a cycle. We just keep going through those same topics of every year as we work our way towards... I don't know. I mean, it, it seems ridiculous to go back and talk about 2010, but who knows by the time we get there, it might be
1: 2030. I, well, I'll say this, by the time we hit 1985 and 86, I'll probably want to dedicate like two or three shows yeah, to it's just, gonna, yeah, just it's, music it's, alone. It's, it's, yeah, because
0: plus as we get older, we have more experience with them, like personal experience, not reflective so much, um, or or discover it later. It's just going to – It's yeah, it's going to be overwhelming, so those are going to be expanded probably by the time we get to 84. Hell, 1984 alone in the movie segment is going to be nuts.
1: Yeah, there's – that that's the thing is people don't realize how much stuff that is of like just the '80s, the mid mid '80s really hit a lot of our cultural zeitgeist. Yeah, like just from that point on forward, there's so much that that was so that still resonates now. Okay, did we come up with
0: a slogan yet? I can't remember. I don't think we I have. Do not recall if we did. Uh, game on, everybody! On. <laughs> um, uh, four score
1: how could be as close. Wait, no, wait, that's <laughs> copyright
0: All right, everybody. So uh, we'll think of something. I'm getting punchy now. So uh, check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind, and that is it for the night. Uh, stay healthy, everybody, and uh, night, get some everybody. good sleep.
1: Yeah, yeah. Good night.
2: Now I've lived through a spinal tap, I've lived through a heart attack, and I can live through you, I made it through my summer jobs, I made it through public school, I made it through state school, and I can live through you, yeah, I may be stumbling. I left my friends fill my head with junk Yes, I've seen some sorrow and I've seen some sin And I've seen my blood enough to wonder what could do me here I've talked to a Democrat, I've talked to a Republican I'll never do that again, but I can live through it. I've lived in small towns And I've lived the city life The subtle trauma of suburban strife And I can live through you I made it through gym class I made it through the school dance Neither gave me half a chance But I can live through you Yeah, hell, am beast land Yeah Yes, I love my friends hands, fill my head with jump. Yes, I've seen some sorrow and I have seen some sin And I've seen my blood enough to wonder what could do me here. I made it through my first kiss, and I've caught some cold fish. I might have a death wish, but I can live through you. I can live through you. I can live through
0: you. I can live through you. Hey, everybody. It is the segment you all love. I know we've only done it once, and I'm lying, but it's called The Scholars of Sketch, where we go through a classic variety or sketch show over the last 45 years. I'm your host, Michael. Tony's on the other side, and uh, I lost my breath for a second there, that was weird. Um, uh, So we started off with the first five years of SNL, and we're just going to be working our way up through the 70s to the 80s and on until now, and uh, this episode is devoted to The Muppets, all the iterations of The Muppets. This is the only one where I think we're going to bounce around, because The Muppets is the only sketch show I know that has been reborn over and over again.
3: Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty prolific. I mean, like uh, they he I, Jim Henson. I mean, when they when they took that show off the air, it was like number one in the ratings. It was it was killing. But he wanted to leave on a high note, and which allowed him to like you know do movies and then you know, you know, all all the other kinds of shows and specials. He didn't want to be boxed in, so you know, it yeah, really allowed him. It really it really allowed it. Him ending the season early when he did allowed it to not get stale. To make all these different you know uh, different vehicles. Whereas if he would have just like let, it, maybe let it go for another four or five seasons and may become boring, who knows?
0: You know. Yeah, that's the one thing I think he's always been ready to pivot. He is similar to George Lucas, I think. If, Lord, if George Lucas hadn't failed so many times after Star Wars, I, I think it would have been different for him. Whereas Jim Henson had a lot of success outside of the Muppets and Sesame Street and stuff like that. He was able to bounce around with other projects
3: throughout the years. And they're all they're all kind of like like puppet related or Muppet related I should say you know it's like you know it's not like he went and did something completely out, it's not like it's not like George Lucas went and did something like uh, crazy un sci fi related same with the like, guy I, I wouldn't say he had, you know he never they kind of stuck in the stuck in the wheelhouse you know
0: yeah maybe yeah Jim Henson's Lethal Weapon that's not gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I would love to see Kermit and Fozzie as partners, and Fozzie like, ah, Kermit, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> A
3: hard-boiled buddy cop movie?
0: Yeah, Gonzo as, as Bruce Willis in Die Hard.
3: <laughs>
0: um, he's just trying to get to Camilla. At all
3: costs.
0: Oh my god, Scooter... Uh, no, no, scooter. I'm sorry, Bunsen and Beaker, and those would make a good buddy comedy. Like, just take uh, Bad Boys and just reinterpret it to two scientists.
3: <laughs> but um, they, can, they can work on curing an outbreak now or something. Yeah, help, help no, oh, yeah, it'd be a serious I mean, drama. Make, make, make it topical. Yeah.
0: The um, I had a roommate, by the way, who looked and talked just like Beaker. It was bizarre he even held his lip in the same way so and it's kind of cruel now but we kind of called him beaker behind his back but he used to just kind of talk with his lower lip out like that and kind of mumble and it was just bizarre I think,
3: I think anybody who has like a weak chin kind of resembles beaker to like to some degree yeah everybody kind of makes that association there's been a few guys i've noticed throughout my life like, yeah, that guy's very beaker like because he's got like you know like kind of, kind of like a weak chin so you can kind of like you know see the comparison
0: you know, it's, it's appropriate that we bring up The Muppet Show immediately after the uh, this SNL because that's where the breaking point between uh, Jim Henson coming off of the uh, the Sesame Street and testing out some more adult material. And if mm-hmm. he hadn't done that, I don't think he ever would have created The Muppet Show. And I don't think he would have built some of the relationship he had. True, he shot it in uh, England. He didn't shoot it in New York. But I feel like a lot of those guys that showed up on The Muppets... We're like, hey, this is just like a younger, cooler, hip version of um, SNL. So it, it's not as risque, but it's like what all the cool kids yeah. are into.
3: Yeah, because I mean, you really were kind of trying. trying to make it like uh, appealing for both adults and children. So I guess if you know what I mean, it's I guess if you're like, if he could put his work, you know, on, on late night, it, it was it was definitely you know, a, you know, a, definitely which he's showcasing some. More mature types of humor. Um, from what I gathered, he had a spe- uh, Jim has put out a special uh, Muppets Valentine's Day special in '74, which he made uh, in England, and then he came over, uh, I guess, in between shooting that and his next uh, kind of special pilot, and he, he did some SNL work, and back to England, and then did a special in '75. The um, what was it called? Uh, oh, Sex and Violence. Such an odd name for a Muppet special. No kidding, sex I had no violence. idea that's that'd be the name. <laughs> yeah.
1: I had I I
3: I, like I, I was I was listening to a documentary about it and I like I had to go look it up. Is that the name of it? I thought first I thought like they had to have said sense and violence or sex. It and then it was yeah, uh, sure enough, it's sex and violence. I was, like, weird. So which, you know, because, could it could it sound any more, I'm not sure. So they made that in seventy five. And then um, and then I guess then they decided to do uh, it, work full-time they just kind of the uh, snl and them entered their partnership and they just decided to do full-time work on their on their show but that was part of like part of the process they were shopping it around it was almost like you introducing you know pilot worthy stuff you know
0: yeah the um uh, i don't I remember seeing i didn't see this during its initial run it, it reran for god it feels like a decade and then it moved over to the disney channel And of such a huge success, it's kind of a shock to see that Disney Plus does not have this. They own the rights, but it is not on their app, and I have no idea why.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, was it initially a CBS property? I I don't know if it was bought out by ABC or... um... Well, you know what? You bring that up.
0: You bring that up, and it is interesting, okay? So I do know this. It was never on a network. It was produced by ITC, which was a British company... um, They did a bunch of movies. Most of them failed horribly uh, outside of the Muppets. Uh, I think their last movie was Fear of a Black Hat, if you remember that documentary. Mockumentary.
3: (laughs) Mockumentary, yeah. Yeah. Of course, that that was hilarious.
0: I think that was their last production. So the rights might be in limbo based on that, but I do know that Shout Factory bought the ITC catalog. But they don't have the Muppets either, so I wonder if that's a legal fight that's going on right now because Disney has the home video rights and they own the characters and the, the, basically the property, but they may not own streaming rights. I don't, so that might be the problem.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure either, you know. And oddly enough, I know. Um, I think uh, there was one episode and where uh, some of the, a lot of Star Wars characters were on on some of the, uh, on, on a Disney episode. You had uh, Mark Hamill and some of the other, uh, Archie Ditsu and C-Penipio. And at the end, they were singing like "When You Wish Upon a Star" with like almost like a spaceship-looking version of Disney Castle in the background. Uh-huh. Like how you know how uh, how how oddly prophetic that would have been. you know Disney would end up owning both. You know that's <laughs> yeah, true.
0: And and I think it's interesting is that so much of the show um, are cover songs. There's hardly any original songs. And they would yeah, just take you know, whatever they, was popular like ten years ago, and then do their own Muppetized version of it.
3: Yeah, they did like early on. They did a lot, a lot of lip syncing uh, stuff, like early, early on, before they were, uh, before they were on the on, before they had a show. When they did little bits on the local, uh, the local DC stuff, It would be a lot of like lip syncing, and then then they started doing their own, you know, they in their own Muppet voices of, of songs, you know, as 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 the, as the show started. So it was, I mean, the show was. I mean, I guess It was technically a sketch comedy variety show, but it was very musical. A lot, a lot of musical numbers. It was pretty, pretty musically heavy, as opposed to SNL, which you know, would kind of like break in the the, the break between the skits. It was like almost like I don't know fifty to 60% you know musical numbers
0: throughout Yeah the year. well I mean SNL was that way though remember we watched that first season and it was like wow that's a lot of songs that, Paul Simon just basically the musical true. guest cuz why well, that's what it was that's, in the 70s though is yeah. that it was so heavily music oriented most of the guys hosting variety shows were musicians not comedians That's true yeah
3: especially the first season of SNL it was like I think they had like six musical numbers or something in that first episode so yeah
0: but I, I the fact that he did pull the show so early in its run and, and here's the weird thing is I thought the show ended before the first movie it's actually I, so I thought the show started like in 74 or 75 and it was only on for three or four yeah. years and then they just jumped into the movie I didn't realize that they had made the first two movies while the show was still in production
3: yep yeah exactly I think it, it ended like in 8081 something like that is when it was was when it was finished and uh, they, yeah they were like they were like you know, I can't remember what the, the ratings were. I mean, but, you know, but they were they were huge. They were like they were like a. It, beca- it became like a, it became not like it's like a local English thing. It became like a, you know. Uh,
0: a worldwide phenomenon.
3: the pond. And then it became exactly. It became like it became number one like internationally in multiple countries because <sighs> you know it cr- crossed a lot of barriers. It, w- it was like you know a cross cultural thing similar to the way The Simpsons are. You know what I mean? Uh
0: huh.
3: It became like this like international juggernaut.
0: Yes, I think The Simpsons in uh, Sweden is called Der Svenssons. The Muppets, uh, when it ended, uh, there's a three year gap between The Great Muppet Caper and Muppets Take Manhattan. And I forgot that when this, that gap is when he started Fraggle Rock. Disney does not own the rights to Fraggle Rock. HBO, I believe, does. So those two are never going to cross over, which is kind of a bummer because I am I wrong in thinking there was a Christmas special where they they had everybody every Jim Henson creation was all together one special
3: so they did um they did a, a John Denver Christmas special at one point
0: I had that album that was one of the very first albums I ever owned
3: and now that, that, that had like I think like I don't know that had a charted a charted single in the UK it was really really popular um, well, it might have been in the US I can't remember which one but um I know they, they uh they filmed the Emmett Otter uh Christmas special in um, in Canada in it aired on Canadian TV, and they, uh, I want to say, '78 maybe. And then they and then they moved it over to HBO and it aired in '79, and it became a cult phenomenon later. It wasn't wasn't a big hit, you know, uh, when it first aired. But I'm trying to think. Trying to think of the special. It, it might have been the, had probably had to have been the John Denver Christmas special. You know, where it had all. But no. they, they had one-off specials before yeah. the show was like a, a, a hit. Before the show was like a you know, a regular thing. They have these one-off. Yeah. Well, that's the thing though.
0: Both of those existed before Fraggle Rock was created. So I, but there's so many Christmas things, Muppet oriented Christmas things. It's hard to keep track of them because I felt like there was an 88 special. Then we got the 92 movie and they keep coming back to it. So, but I, I, feel like at one point they were all in the same world and it would be nice if somehow they were able to put them back together again. And I think those are only his two major creations where it's their own show. Like he did tons of stuff for George Lucas uh, Labyrinth and um, Return to Oz uh, of course the, the Yoda character and stuff like that I feel like there's another one in there somewhere um, yeah, oh course, Dark Crystal Yoda,
3: Yoda being, being voiced by yeah Dark, Dark Crystal of course Yoda being voiced by Frank Oz you know, was, you know Jim Henson's uh, partner in crime for so years
0: yeah and then who knew that he was going to turn out to be such a great director outside of that because I mean I gotta tell you his, his uh, movies with Steve Martin are just amazing a little Shop of Horrors, another Jim Henson uh, yeah. project, uh, D- right. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, House Sitter, and Bowfinger.
3: Yeah, yeah. Also yeah, good. you know, I, 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 I guess once you've been in the business for a while, you know, it's almost it's almost hard not to like for any, any of it to, to rub off on you. And you sort of kind of get these, you know, you just kind of just, you know, just, just through uh, still being around it so long, you just kind of pick up notes here and there, and, you know, if you're paying attention,
0: I guess, I guess, you know. Before we go into the characters and some of the, the repeated popular sketches, uh, what do you think about the spinoffs, the, the sequel series that were in the... There's one in 97 to 99, I think, and then uh, the one that was out a couple years ago. What did you think of those?
3: I mean, they were okay. They're just... At that point, you've already... It wasn't as much of a novelty as it was when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Because we're similar ages, so when that was such an event as a kid, you know, just something you would get excited into and into because, you know, it it seemed like it it seemed like it was something for you, but also for your parents. And then it seemed like you know, you know, like the, um, I don't know. It just seemed, um, it just it just seemed like like a weekly event. It seemed like you know what I mean? Something like like. That, like you know, it's an NBC, you know, coin term. But it definitely was must-see TV, you know. And uh, whereas when it came in the late, when it came, when it kind of reinvented itself later, it just seemed like like a last gasp, They're trying to like recreate the same magic.
0: Yeah, it always seems like they create. That- it seems like they create shows now when the movies don't do well. That's that's the gap that seems to yeah. be happening because. It was the hippest, coolest thing for anybody that was above Sesame Street age, and like you said, you could watch with your parents. It wasn't dumbed down. It had a lot of hip satire, um, and it was uh, some of the stuff would fly over your head, and you would get it later. So your parents would think it's funny. And right. when the shows came back, the property was kind of in a limbo because Disney bought, if I remember, Disney bought the Muppets for Muppet Christmas Carol, and then they did um, Muppet Treasure Island. And then they did the show. Muppet Treasure Island did fine, but the show seemed like, uh, hey, we need to get the property, you know, get people talking about the property again before we do another movie. And that right. show, the show just didn't, it didn't feel right. It felt, uh, it, it was just an updated version. They weren't on a stage anymore. They were doing a TV show, running a network. And I felt like a lot of the sketches, right. I literally saw, I can't believe this, I literally saw uh, the plot of one of the Muppets tonight. Repeated on the new Muppet show, it's the same exact plot. I couldn't believe it. It It's the one with Elizabeth Banks. I can't remember who was on the the other one, but um, oh, it was Michelle Pfeiffer. And it was literally just someone lifted the script, took out Michelle Pfeiffer's name and put in Elizabeth Banks. It was the same exact script.
3: Yeah, it really. They just seemed like they were just trying to copy the same formula and kind of tweak it, tweak it a little bit to make it, uh, to to update it for you know for the for the current you know uh, uh, uh. for the modern era, or, or as it were, but yeah, it's weird. Like I was watching, like um, so, with the, with the earlier shows, the Valentine's show, and then the uh, the uh, sex and violence. They uh, they had to make it. Um, they're they really uh, they're really enamored with the show within a show concept. So whereas, like um, the Valentine's show, I think it was kind of either a talent show or something. And then I think the uh, the Sex and Violence was like a beauty pageant. And it was, so they're always like, you know, you, you always have the on you, the onstage, offstage interaction. And that's kind of what made the, uh, it, it made Paul that same formula into the Muppet show, which is kind of like, kept that same dynamic. Uh, I don't know, it just seemed like stale. Once it, once it came into like the 90s and they were still doing that, you know, like doing this like,
1: you know.
0: It was old hat. Yeah, okay. but the
3: funny yeah, thing is, exactly.
0: the Muppets does did set a trend. I mean, there's so many things they set up in the, the behind the scenes, which I find more interesting than the actual sketches and the musical numbers. I love the stuff that's taking place behind the scenes, and right. you in the '90s that blew up. They started doing that with the Larry Sanders Show. They started doing more sketches sure, on yeah. SNL behind. You know, you would go behind the scenes. Um, uh, what was the other one I was thinking it, of? There's another show occurred. that was. What's that?
3: Oh, you'd be taking a peek behind the curtain.
0: Right, yeah, Conan uh, did it a lot. Um, but I just feel like that was a, uh, it wasn't a it was a fresh idea by the time the second Muppet show came
3: around. Right. Cool. I, I mean, and, like, I, like, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know what, what would have worked. <laughs> you know, it's hard to say what, what would have been like a recipe for success. Do something completely different, do more of the same, tweak it slightly. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. I mean, well, I, I so. think
0: the new Muppet show the one from a few years ago I think that's exactly how it should have been done for some reason the audience has rejected it I'm enjoying the hell out of the new series because it's all behind the scene it's all about the the antics that go oh that's the other show I was thinking about 30 Rock 30 Rock is behind the scenes oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but um the yeah, Muppet show I, I, I don't know why it's, it's, almost, it's almost
3: entirely it's almost entirely behind the scenes yeah
0: mm-hmm. but why do you think they rejected the new Muppets show because I think it's actually really good
3: you know I think there was just such a gap between like the the last one in the nineties and then and certainly certainly the original they just really didn't have the same appeal you know and then there's so many other things to compete with there's so many other shows true true you know so you weren't captivated certainly like you were back it was the first time there was like you know it was fresh creative there was nothing like it on TV you know what I mean so there was no 24 uh, hour cartoon channel
0: right yeah there's there was there's, no, there's, there's you're trying to find a kids show on Saturday afternoon or I think they showed it at like 5 or 6 where I lived you know there's no competition it's just sports on the weekend that was a brilliant move on their part and also if you're in syndication the demands on what your ratings are are completely different than they are in a network television show the Muppets the new Muppet show might have been better if they waited a little bit and then launched it with Disney Plus
3: right yeah No. yeah true because yeah you can watch it at your own leisure at your own, leisure, your own pace Whereas you know, what I mean, you you, have, you split so many ways with so many different uh, you know uh, platforms, and there's only so there's only so much. You know, I mean, now now of course, everyone's stuck inside, but and you need to leave all you know all the time in the world to watch everything. But like, there's only so much. We I mean, hours a day you can watch certain things. So
0: yeah, and do, do, you, you, do you do you think the next you, generation the likes stuff? the Muppets? Because I know the first movie did great, but I think it's because of the nostalgia of our generation. But the second one bombed and i'm wondering if it's because kids under 20 don't give a crap about the muppets
3: yeah i th- i think that's pretty much it i just they don't, don't i think they don't find it dance. i don't know I, don't, they, they, I think i think i think they don't see the novelty you know of a puppet you know
0: why is the cgi you know? is probably the first thing that pops yeah. in your head why is that physical why is that really there
3: <laughs> you know you know it's it's like my kids would focus on like like the wires and like the sticks moving so they could see them you know what I mean? Yeah. And whereas, I, I guess I was aware of it as a kid, but I just didn't, you know, I mean, I, of course I realized it's not real. You know what I mean? But I just didn't, you know, I just kind of like spend, you know, you just kind of act, you act like they are, you know what I mean? You know Kermit's not really riding a bike. You can see how awkward his legs look riding a bike in the movie. Yes, but, you but how just, did they you know, do it? Yeah.
0: I want to know how they did it. I cannot figure exactly. this out.
3: It's still it's still cool that they pulled it off, you know? Whereas kids don't, don't they're, they're, the mystery and the wonder is... not isn't
0: what it was for us, you know. Because everything everything now can just be wiped away with blue screen and CGI. You know, there's no strings, there's no wires, there's no nothing. And I think the spectacle that you enjoyed of the early show is that they just they brought these characters to life. But it's more than just the fact that it's puppetry. I think it's because they focused on the characters first. And I think that's what's yeah. missing. Did you watch the Happy Time Murders? Yeah, I did. They didn't really care about the characters that much. I think it was more about outrageous behavior, and I think that's why it doesn't work.
3: Yeah, it was just it was just doing it was puppets doing outrageous stuff for the sake of being outrageous. You know what I mean? It was just kind of it went, and it just got it got tiresome after a bit. You know?
0: Yeah. But um, let's talk about the characters that made this so special. Now, a lot of these characters I'm going to bring up weren't originally part of the the, the first show. They were added through the years, but now they consider them the main characters, and I'm cheating because I look on Wikipedia. Um, (laughs) We don't really need to start talking about Kermit. Kermit is the everyman that everybody connects to, Um, but um, Miss Pick.
3: Well, well, Kermit is the very first puppet that Jim Henson ever made. Oh, really? Even before Sesame Street? Yes. That's the very first thing he ever made. Okay. Even though he was... Even though on his first show, Sam and Friends... He was like he was like kind of like a side character. No he was the very first thing, so even though he wasn't the focal point, And even when the Muppet Show aired, he wasn't the most popular character. He was just—he's the 1st hes a, he's a he made it out of an old double coat and a uh, ping pong ball that he cut in half. You know, the first one he ever had.
0: Well, if anybody is Jim Henson, it is Kermit the Frog. It, that he's putting everything of who he is into Kermit. He's the everyman that has to surround himself with these lunatics and organize all of it.
3: Yeah, he is the, um, so like he, he originally, when they when they did the original, like, the the, uh, the Valentine show and the, the other, um, uh, the Sex and Violence show, they had this other guy who was hosting the show, and then he, they made him the band director, but they decided to bring Kermit in, you know, to, to like, tie, because he was, like, he's the longest, he used to do, like, late night segments, and he would do, he would do segments on Sesame Street. And then he was the most well known, so they brought they figured they'd bring him in and tie the whole thing together, and he he'd be a natural host since he's like, because he's like he's more recognizable. He's like he's like you know what I mean? He's pretty much a household name at that point. Going a, a decade back.
0: Uh-huh. So. And I think. Yeah, the- Miss Piggy is uh, is the exact opposite of Kermit, and I think that's why they work so well together, because every bad behavior seems to be in her. She's too emotional, she's violent, she's an ego freak, uh, gluttonous. It just, uh, I think that's the personality that they put into her.
3: Yeah, she, she's, she's being the uh, typical diva, and he's, he, has, he has to manage all these personalities. To like, put on a, you know on a decent show. He's like the you know, neurotic Gonzo, the you know the, the uh, who's no sense of self awareness. You know. Yeah. You know, but
0: the weird thing is, you, though, he seems go, to be the most insecure. Fozzie seems to make the jokes because he, he has to function, or or without him, he doesn't know what to do.
3: Right. Yeah. It, I mean, certainly off stage, he was like, "It's like so, so that was funny, right?" And like, "You know," and like, and of course, you, you have the uh, those Statler and Waldorf. Who were also on that sex and violence um, uh, special? He, he, he brought them. He brought them out to like you know keep everyone's ego in check, especially especially phases.
0: You know it's funny is I always joke that when I get older I'm just going to be like the Stadler and you'll be the Waldorf of podcasting. We're just like I loved it. I hated it. <laughs> You're right. It was terrible. <laughs>
3: It's funny, and they're always like, "Why do we? Why do we keep coming here? Why do we keep torturing ourselves?" <laughs> like, so they like, "Why do we do? Why do we do this to ourselves every every week? If we hate it so much, it's good question.
0: Nothing else to do. <laughs> but um, I guess if you're old, you know, Gonzo. It's funny, is Miss Piggy was not really one of the main focuses in the first season. She just worked her way up to being, you know, the romantic lead. But I think the most memorable sketch of all of hers is pigs and spags I think that's basically the biggest most popular reoccurring sketch
3: yeah I think that happened in season two in the first season uh, they had like some kind of like kind of forum where they would talk or something strange and then they also had like this thing with these houses they had a house these like like muppet houses talk to each other it was like a housing and they had all these house related uh, puns and then they started doing this. Pigs in Space to kind of like mock uh, 2001 Space Odyssey and uh, Star Trek and things like that. And it, it became like a serialized drama and that kind of that really took off.
0: Actually, I'm trying to think, did they have any other reoccurring? I mean, they had Sam the Eagle who would do the news bits, but that's all I can think of. Everybody else would just come in and out of sketches.
3: So they brought some characters from the specials previous, Sam the Eagle being one of them. Um, Scooter came later, um, and then they, they tied a whole backstory to him, where he be, he was the um, he was the son's you know he was the nephew of the owner of the theater, which he found that out later. And then like you know these characters they introduced earlier, and they give him the backstory later. Like Robin was in one of this uh, early first season where he was just singing a song. They bring him back later and make him the uh, the nephew of Hermit. So um, I'm trying to think like they had an original janitor who they subbed right. out for, like, for, for, for Beauregard later. They just felt like he'd, he'd be a better fit. So they were kind of, like, trying stuff, you know what I mean? Not everything was uh, not everything was linear, you know, sometimes it would be, you know, Posse started off with a diff- different voice, and then they kind of explained it away later. It like, oh, I was trying to do a John Wayne, you know, Wayne voice or something of that nature. You know, so they gave him a lighter voice to see him make, make it more, like, you know, make it more affable, I guess. Hmm. I didn't just notice. like anything, it, yeah, any any early show, like you can see how like things change. Like you look at the early Simpsons, their voices changed. Even Family Guy, you know, so right, it's right, right. Well, like, family,
0: family Guy like, used to be funny, and then it got popular. Shit
3: <laughs> Yeah, and you know, and then things become another one thing, and it just becomes sensational, almost from the point of like you know, the writing becomes lazy, and they just yeah. keep on being sensational. Well, now it's no just pop
0: culture references, shit. and um, right. I think, maybe thats why the the second Muppets doesn't work—is because it is so heavily. Right now, this is the popular thing. Right now, we got to make a spoof of this, and, and ten years later, no one knows what they're referring to. That could—that's a problem with a lot of old sketch shows.
3: Right, I guess the, the original Muppet holds up. Muppet shows holds up now because I guess even even for the for back when it was, I guess it was dated because it's kind of vaudevillian the shows they're putting on. Well, yeah, so I it think that was during the revival
0: of, like, of that kind of era where where people were interested yeah, in the twenties so and thirties.
3: So it seemed classic, and even though if even even though you're watching the '70s, it's not really tied to the '70s. Even even I guess where the human hosts come on and some of the hairstyles are 70-ish. But besides that, you know, you wouldn't know any like like you know, some people wouldn't know who Rita Moreno is or some of like you know, you know, some of the guest hosts are. But besides that, it's kind of like you know, it doesn't seem so so dated. Whereas something now, it's like you know, it'll be it'll be related to like a internet fad or something right or or let's
0: talk about moment. the most dated sketch show of all time laughing where that is clearly oh, yeah. <laughs> all of that era and it doesn't work anywhere else yeah
3: yeah very very flower powery with like a lot of like references to, like stuff that's like too in the moment yeah
0: sock it to me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Nixon uh so, uh,
3: so I, I guess it's, that's why like a like an animated show where like sometimes they like you know uh a puppet show can work on different levels because it's not, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, pertaining to a certain time and era, you know.
0: Yeah, is, let me ask you, this. is Scooter supposed to look like John Denver? Is that a
3: coincidence? It's a coincidence. Yeah, I was, the the guy, I can't remember the guy that has the voice, but he was, like, he started off as kind of, like, um, like, almost like a PA to, like, Jim Henson. He was, like, an assistant, and he had, like, when he was 18 at the time. He started. He had like um, this kind of like enthusiasm, which is like what what Scooter was. So the fact that he looks like him was just a pure coincidence. I mean, because the guy, who, the guy who does the voice, up doesn't even wear glasses. They just, you know what I mean. So maybe it was some kind of odd coincidence, or maybe it was an actor mind. of yeah. You know, because Jim H- Jim Henson being such a, a a fan of folk music, you know, maybe possibly had some kind of influence on it, but.
0: And speaking of music, uh, one of the main characters I think people forget about now is Rolf because Rolf was so popular when I was a kid, but I don't really think he's in the top five popular, maybe not even the top ten anymore.
3: Yeah, he was popular. I mean, he started off. He's one of those guys that started off prior to the Muppet Show when they would do like uh, his late night show appearances and the show up on Sesame Street, and then um, <clears throat> they brought him back as like you know, as like part as part of the musical act yeah I know but yeah he wasn't um, yeah I mean he was I, I don't even think he was ever one of the more popular characters even in the Muppet I mean he was I don't say he's the most popular character even in a Tay Day or, or prior he was just kind of like one of the, like you know one of the because like, one of the side characters and then like of course I would say Piggy Piggy Kermit Fozzie Gonzo and then maybe Rolf you know underneath that. well i would say I mean, animals animals
0: i think a top three i think animal has this weird simplicity that people really enjoy
3: that's true yeah yeah that's true i mean i, I think originally he started as just a band as just a band member you know and then he kind of took on a life of its own it's
0: kind of like the tasmanian devil of their universe because there's something so mm. basic and primal about their behavior that people anybody internationally could connect to them
3: yeah, there's always a character on a show so over-the-top who just kind of captivates you, whether it's Kramer and Seinfeld or something like that. There's always somebody who's just so outlandish and over-the-top He just kind of, like, you know, just gravitate towards.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I think some of the side characters, uh, like Rizzo the Rat, he wasn't in the original series. He came with Muppets Take Manhattan. He became very popular. He's one of my favorite characters.
3: Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a, a guy who always got to come along later who just kind of, like... Uh, you know who kind of uh, is just kind of like it's just become become part of the permanent Muppets. I'm trying to think if there's any of them. Some of the ones like the shrimp, who I'm not a big fan of, but
0: no oh, Pepe, yeah. There's a few.
3: Yeah, you- there's a few who come over the years who I can't really recall off the top of my head, but have just become just part of the, like a mainstay Muppet. One even, yeah, one in part of part of the original episodes.
0: Who's the one that throws the fish?
3: Oh, the- he came in the second season. Oh, god. Something Lou. Something, um...
0: It's like the great... God, I, I thought it was like the great Boudini or something like that. It's not even in the
3: Wikipedia. I can't even find him. Uh, I was just watching. They were talking about it, too. So, so, yeah, so maybe Lou or something, something Lou or something.
0: Oh, it is. You're right. Lou. Yeah. It's Lou Zeland as a character with a dark hair mustache and likes to throw fish. But he, I thought he had a character. Huh.
3: He came in the second season, and there was like another guy. The guy who blew stuff up also came in the second season. I'm trying to think, who is um, who is the man behind that? Ah,
0: I love, my, my and I don't remember, remember him. I do not remember this character past the first movie. But Sweetums is so ridiculous. He's in the show. He's in the first movie. <laughs> I don't recall if he's in any other uh, things from them. But he's like, hey guys, uh He's just the irony of his name being Sweetums. But he's such a fun character. <laughs>
3: Oh, is that is that the is that the big uh, hairy yeah the one
0: that follows him through the entire first movie guy is
4: waiting for me yeah
3: yeah yeah <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah he, he was he was he was one of my favorites as a kid he, he had a very he had a real Chewbacca feel to him Yes. I, I always liked him
0: in fact who knows it might have been the same guy huh?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah he well, he was huge for that matter
0: yeah um, and then there's Doctor Teeth that's where Animal comes from is Doctor Teeth and the Electric Mayhem and they were always the house band. Uh, took on more of a hippie vibe, I think, in the first movie. They, uh, they, they. I think they have bigger roles in the movie than they did, ever did in the show.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. They were always just kind of well, you never really very few. I mean, you see I mean, They were always in, involved in musical numbers, so you never really saw them outside of like you know beginning where they're just like you know doing the theme and then like as a backup band for whatever musical number was coming on. They very, they very seldom had had a speaking role. You know. Yeah. They were just kind of pa- pantomiming, playing a musical instrument usually. Uh, we have
0: the Swedish chef. Oh need work work, work, work. And that
3: was that was that was Jim Henson's, uh, that was Jim Henson uh, voicing that guy. Uh,
0: we did that his, um, We did that voice at work one time. this is very long time, like twenty five years ago. We were at McDonald's, and me and my friend Tim were in the back room, um just tossing food around and playing with the utensils unsafely. just pretend to be the Swedish chef. <laughs> and our boss comes around the corner and they're like, the customers can see you knock it off. We're like, Oh, right. Sorry. Forgot where at work.
3: You <laughs> I mean I'm not invisible back here?
0: <laughs> I did, Pat. That was the day I threw a piece of cheese on the ceiling to see if it would stick, and it did, and then we started having contests to see how long the cheese could stick on the ceiling. Just lick it and throw it up on the
3: ceiling. Actually, it falls in the deep fryer and spiders everybody.
0: <laughs> um, I have a coworker who, when he gets mad, he makes the Sam Eagle face. And it's and he has no he's so young he has no idea what I'm referencing, and it amuses me to no end.
3: He's going, You're all a bunch of
0: weirdos. <laughs> His face just curls up like that. Um, I can't remember any other characters that really mattered from that show. The rest of them were just like small repetitive. There's so many characters though. I can't believe how much work they put into it.
3: Yeah, uh, I think originally there was these. They started with these two like uh, this male and. Female Muppet characters—they would do like um, it's kind of Romeo and Juliet, Romeo and Juliet song thing. They can never finish the number. And I don't know what ever happened. I don't even remember them. I just—they just—they introduced them in the first season as a as a new Muppet character. And I don't remember them like as a kid. That was because they were just so like forgettable. You really only would gravitate towards the crazy, fuzzy, colorful ones.
0: Yeah, it so says here, uh, Crazy Harry was the one that blew up everything.
3: Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so if there was ever, like, a Muppet that was supposed to, like, look like a person or something, besides, like, the guy who did the news, if, if they had, like, a name, they're supposed to go, like, every, every guy. You never really remember their name. Even if they had a name. Right. Never, well, like, I think the, I think
0: them. the biggest mistake that they've ever done in that show, besides Statler and Waldorf, all the humanoid-looking ones, there's something very off-putting. There's a, there's a character they introduce in the second series, Muppets Tonight, called, uh, I can't remember, like, Stan the IT guy or whatever, and they bring him back for the new Muppet mm-hmm. show, and it's unnerving. I don't want to see someone who's so humanoid. It doesn't. It barely ever works.
3: Yeah, It does look unusual, even when they do it in Sesame Street. It'd be like a human guy, but with like a bright blue or purple nose or something. It looks like, you know, it's kind of kind of odd. Unless you're like an over-the-top human-looking guy, like Guy Smiley, or
0: yeah, you know, like- or or well, Bert and Ernie have humanoid features, but I, something about the way I think a lot of it is how. Uh, Jim Henson designs the creatures. Uh, I shouldn't say creatures, the Muppets. They're people too. Um, It has to be appealing to the eye or it has to be so bizarre. It can't be that middle ground and it cannot look close to what we look like because something about it just feels unnatural.
3: Yeah, I guess if you make them look like mannequins, it'll kind of take you out of the experience. Perhaps.
0: Lord knows knows I'm terrified of mannequins.
3: Yeah, I mean... I think it'd be kind of yeah, it'd be unusual to see like a mannequin with like a flapping mouth. It'd be that would be, almost take like a ventriloquist kind of feel to it, whereas you kind of want it to be, you know, puppet-like.
0: Yeah, well, know? well, ventriloquist yeah. dummies. There's something creepy and unnerving about those. But I've never seen a Muppet where I'm like, I don't know, keep an eye on that thing. It might be alive.
3: Yeah, yeah, they look too silly to be threatening. Yeah, scary. You
0: know, watch someone make a uh, murder, uh, uh, a serial killer movie with uh, Muppets. <laughs>
3: It's weird. Apparently, the term "muppet," um, like uh, Jim Henson, claims he just made it up out of the blue. He didn't, didn't mean anything, but then later he would say, "Well, it's kind of like a hybrid between marionettes and puppets," hence the term "muppets."
0: Well, thank God it wasn't so. "man puppet." I mean, that's what I was worried <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <sighs> <laughs> I killed them and I put their souls in this, you know, this Kermit thing. You know, like, ah, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> They're trapped there forever, <laughs> like Chucky.
3: Yeah, or if you call them X, that wouldn't
0: work either. It sounds yeah, well, Muppets works, yeah, and that way you can trademark it. True. Um, I completely forgot my train of thought. There was something I was going to say afterwards. Ah, shit buckets. Um, <laughs> there was something I was going to say with the Muppets. I totally forgot. I'll remember five minutes after we stopped recording. But um, for yeah, me, right. <laughs> it, you <laughs> definitely got to hunt out the show. Someone's got to figure out why you can't get the show on Disney+. Plus. Or any streaming service. That's the thing that's so confusing to me. But uh, the entire series is out on DVD. And uh, I think they did really well with all the special features. Man, it's going to hit me. It's going to hit some... me. I know it's
3: going to you, hit me. You were talking about humans and puppets. Human-looking puppets. That's weird kind of, Damn you know, I, There was
0: something weird. I was going to say. And I'm, I'm going to remember it. I, I swear to God. Never mind. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> no, there's some really good... Good documentaries on on, on the Muppets, uh, especially on YouTube. that's you know really good ones on history. And, you know I mean? uh, Jim Henson's early life was—you know—he was almost like destined to make puppets. He was, you know, he did it as like a 14-year-old, and then he just got to break at a TV station, and then he made this like this puppet show, you know, right before right before the late-night show in the DC area. You know, like all these odd times, was like like for like like 6:45 to like 7 or something. It was this weird time slot they would be in. Then they would have you, like, you know, Kermit doing commercials. It's just, it's really, it's like a 20 year process, and how it became the Muppet Show. But it's so, you know, it's so, it can only happen to him. It's so, you know, it happens so organically. Yeah.
0: I gotta tell you, if, there
3: would never be anything like it.
0: If I could go back in time, I think I would. I think I would go into that. I, that sounds so much fun to create your own character, do the moldings, and, and then you work with it and you develop the character and you have fun with that. That seems like a, something that would be a hoot if my shoulders weren't so jacked up. Like, can you imagine what it's like holding that above your head for eight hours? It's gotta hurt.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's really. Uh, see, he 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 went to Europe and came back, and he was really like enamored with the art form of puppetry. That's how it kind of re- reinvigorated his passion. And I don't think there's anyone else who could have done this. Without Jim Henson, you know, um, or if, like, he never moved to the... DC, if his, he was from, born in Mississippi and then moved to, like, the D.C. area where he ended like, up working at a TV station, how he never moved there or moved somewhere else? Would it just, none, none of this would have ever happened because I can't see anyone being as innovative and in creating these kind of puppets, you know, and, and then we'd have this late-night variety show. was only one man who could have ever done it. But, yeah. You know,
0: it's, it's a yeah. shame that he, uh, some reason, for some reason I thought he died of cancer. I really did. What I didn't know was I that he was on the Arsenio Hall show and he had a kind of a tick on the back of his throat that he couldn't get rid of. And uh, instead of going to the doctor, he decided to go do some more appearances and uh, it turns out he had pneumonia and then he died from pneumonia, at, like my age. I, I think, maybe he was a little bit older, but I feel like he was really young when he died.
3: I think he was in his 50s maybe
0: I want to say maybe in his it's just yeah. it's so sad because I'm not sure but I think he died before the Ninja Turtles movie opened and that was like the next level of his special effects because he had just moved he moved beyond just puppetry that he started moving into robotics and mm. he never got to see that next stage of the Henson company thank god his legacy still lives on because even if Disney owns the Muppets there's still all these movies that he's, he does special effects for everybody thinks all special effects are now CGI they're not it is predominant but there are still a lot of mm-hmm. physical effects out there and, and the Henson company is responsible for a lot of that really clever wire work puppetry uh, robotic stuff that's you still needs to be
3: tangible to make yeah. it look real well he was doing radio radio controlled stuff back when he was doing the first Muppet movie so he was, was like he? It, is that how out, he did the bike yeah. then is that I want to know how he did the bike damn it that's how we did some of the movements. Like, I think there are some of, like, when they're in a boat. When they'd be in a boat, the, the boat would be moving, mm-hmm. you know, like, kind of nowhere else. That would be radio-controlled. There's a few other scenes I saw that they, they, they were – that was not everything. Um, some of the stuff was, like, green screen, you know, they like, some, like, low-tech CGI work. Yeah. But,
0: um, it's kind of a shame that uh... – the Muppets from Space is the one that killed the franchise for so long because I don't think it's a bad movie. I just for whatever reason I enjoyed it. That's kid, what I was about to
3: say, have, I, I I I I thought it was good.
0: Some franchises just exhaust kids, they keep moving on. I think by ninety nine kids weren't interested in anything Muppet wise. They're like, oh Pokemon, Dragon Ball, whatever was popular at that moment. Yeah. Power Rangers. <laughs> yeah,
3: Power Rangers and Pokemon, something that I was I was too old for at the time, so thankfully.
0: Yeah, I, I still probably won't get into it. I just—I've always had a problem with the anime. But um, is there anything else you want to say about the Muppets before we go?
3: No, just you know—I mean, it was just—it was uh, you know, for its time, it was a creative series. If you—if you, if you had the chance to watch it again, especially the early stuff, like you know, like Fraggle Rock and the other Christmas, any of the early Jim Henson stuff, still holds up. Muppet show—you know—some of like the ske- you know yeah, the music and sketch comedy involved pretty pretty ahead of its time. You know, it was great great for the whole family so it's definitely you know something to check out
0: if you have kids check it out you know yeah the, the the muppets the newer right. one i recommend but i think it's too uh, i not I, you have to be older to get it that's i mean that's the problem because it seems like it was geared towards college kids and, and older because it was so hip and right more behavior oriented than sketch oriented but i highly recommend that i recommend the uh, the movies all the movies except what great muppet keeper i cannot get through that one that one's so rough
3: I enjoyed it. I I know everybody
0: loves that movie. For some reason, I have such a huge problem with it. I don't know why. (laughs) Oh, Muppet Babies. That's the other thing I was trying to remember. Muppet Babies. That was the thing that held the gap between the movies, and that was such a phenomenon. But I look back on it, it's nice, but it's just not the same.
3: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even – it was just a cartoon. I mean, of course, there were Muppet Babies in The Muppets Take Manhattan, which was fodder for the cartoon. But that cartoon was such a huge, huge hit—a Saturday morning cartoon—and it wasn't even like, uh, it wasn't even, you know, wasn't even like Muppet related. There was no. I it would be cool if they did like a Muppet Babies Saturday show, that wasn't a cartoon.
0: Yeah, you know, that'd be cool. You yeah, have did to continue. Well, I saw on uh, Wikipedia they have two new things coming from Disney Plus. And one of them is Muppets Now, which are smaller Muppet shows. I think they're based around a sketch or a musical performance. Okay. So they're only 10-minute episodes, and um, Muppet Babies is coming back.
3: Okay. That's, that's cool, you know, I guess.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, for, yeah. they want to keep the brand alive. I don't want it to die. Some people get mad because they're always rebooting no. stuff, and I'm like, look, you've got to keep stuff fresh. I mean, who the hell is talking about, like, think about Looney Tunes, if it wasn't for it being the debut series on this new HBO Max, I really don't think anybody would be talking about Looney Tunes. Even though it's one of the greatest things ever, the next generations after us do not care.
3: Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm guilty of that myself. Like, Have you seen the brand new Dark Crystal that came out? No, I've
0: never even seen, seen the, the, the first movie? Dark Crystal. Don't hit me. Don't hit me through the phone. Yeah, see? I've never seen Dark Crystal.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've seen the first one. I barely remember it, but I don't have really have any interest to see the second one. and I don't, I don't, have, I can't think of a reason why. I mean, there's no reason... Why I shouldn't like it? It's you know I should I should be nostalgic for it. But I'm just not. And I don't ha- you know I don't have a, I don't really have a reason.
0: I'll get around to watching it one I, day. I mean it took forever for me to watch The Labyrinth. Just I don't know for whatever reason I just didn't watch it. I don't understand the appeal of um, this isn't Henson, but it is pu- it has lots of puppets and it. it is um, uh, never in the story. I saw it way too late. I did not get the appeal of that movie.
3: Yeah, that's one of those things that everybody loves. It just kind of lost on me. Like I think, like the dog creature's cool, I guess, but you know, besides that, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I that's another one that I, that I've seen and I barely I barely remember. It didn't really have like didn't it didn't have like a long lasting effect on me, like you know like say the Goonies or something like that I've never seen it, like you know back in the day like that's one of those ones that I've seen and just kind of like yeah just erased from my memory. Certain movies are like I just just hold you know have a, just had a big impact on, like Time Bandits. Uh, the Goonies, things like that. You know what's
0: yeah. funny is I just told somebody about Time Bandits and I'm like, I realized I haven't seen it since probably the '80s, and uh, I should watch it again. But that was a huge hit, and I didn't even know it. I thought it was just like one of those niche things that people just found on video. No, it was a massive box office hit. I had no idea. Yeah,
3: that yeah, was, uh, you know, it's something I saw, I saw with my mom, and it was just like it was kind of out there. Like, you mean know, like I was, but I was kind of into it. You know what I mean? It was something that I, I wasn't, I didn't normally watch. <laughs> it's something like my. It's something you know, I wasn't exposed to it was might, might have been a little mature my age, even though there's children in it, but it was still pretty, uh, still pretty out there. Still, you know, yeah, well, I, cool. think, I think I think fantasy, since, and I you know? think
0: that's why Henson works so well because a lot of the fantasy stuff was coming from uh, British directors. I mean, that's Gilliam and uh, Terry Jones did Labyrinth, and I think there's a certain obviously because the Muppets was shot in England, but I think there is a different influence and why Muppets might seem more timeless when it was filmed in England compared to the way it is now where it's just shot like on a Los Angeles back studio, you know?
3: Yeah. I suppose so. Yeah.
0: All right, so that is it for the Muppets discussion. Uh, Thank you very much, Tony, for this. It was fun to go down this road. I'm a huge Muppets fan, but I didn't realize how much I didn't know about
3: yeah, like I just learned it. <laughs> I didn't like. I just learned about watching these these two doc these two us documentaries that happen to be on YouTube. So there's like like, like uh, all, all this. Uh, I didn't realize like the, the genesis of some of the characters, and it's, you know, it's pretty fascinating. Some of the uh, little factoids related related with the Muppets.
0: You know what's funny is I think the one movie that everybody forgets about is not Muppet related, but it's from the same company. as Follow That Bird? And I saw that in theaters. I couldn't tell you a single thing about it, but. I am itching to go through the entire Henson filmography and that's going to come up. I, I mean, in fact, I might watch some old Sesame Street episodes just to see, just to remember what it was like.
3: I, I remember he's searching for his family. Is that and what he the plot Sesame is? Sesame Street. Okay. Yeah, so he leaves Sesame Street to find his family. And then there's somebody... So the Sesame Street is going back to take him back or rescue him or something. And then there's some other person who's trying to capture him put it in i don't know i forget exactly the, the total plot but something like that okay so
0: but um so check he, us out on, on, on facebook trip. sorry I talked over you no, go ahead
3: i know no, he's on this he's on this cross-country trip to find something and there's all these people following him so you know, it's
0: it's one eye on Willie's gold i knew it
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so we are on hit rewind podcast page on facebook and twitter Find us there, and uh, we'll come back with our next episode. This one's gonna be more challenging for me because I've only watched a few episodes of it. And I have this weird feeling that it's gonna be one of those dive into a universe you never get out. Is SCTV? Have you ever watched SCTV?
3: A handful of them when I was younger.
0: You yeah. I mean? So were there's tons of them. Long. Tons of them on YouTube, and I'm curious to see how it holds up because. I know people who are fanatic about the show, and almost everybody from that series went on to become a star, at least of some sort. Um, so I'm very interested. I feel like it's the uh, the more cerebral version of what SNL was doing during the '70s and early '80s. Yeah, totally.
3: It's just, it's, it's it's definitely like the. Um, it seems like the uh, the art college version of like you know SNL yeah the
0: college radio basically yeah just like oh this is the popular song for us what are you top 40 listeners oh that's what you're listening to okay
3: (laughs) right yeah it's like the college rock version of like uh, SNL for sure
2: (laughs) I hate love What has love ever done for me? I hate love Oh, hate set me free I hate love, 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 love But I still love you, baby Somebody said you gotta serve someone I got nothing left to give Somebody say you gotta love someone Yeah, well, my heart's said And it's taken me to some places that still love you, baby If I fall and break my leg I can put it in a cast If I make a fool of myself I can put it in the past But when I fall you've wormed your way so deep inside of me And I think I'm better off I might be better off Love might be better off without me I hate love What has love ever done for me? I hate love Oh, I hate set me free I hate love, 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 love. I hate
0: love, 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 love. I hate love, 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 love. And I still love you, baby. All right, everybody, have a good night. Welcome to Back in Tunes Special Edition. Where we'll be discussing Heavy Metal, the great fantasy sci fi action movie of 1981. I'm your host, Michael, and my co host, hey, what's up, Jacob?
4: Hey, hey, hey. Just rocking out to this freaking soundtrack that is composed <laughs> of Judas Priest, Devo, Black Sabbath. Oh my gosh. The uh, list goes on.
0: And, and for people who know me, know that I'm obsessed with Devo. It's my probably my favorite band. And uh, there's a sequence in the movie where they have a a, a bar band who is supposed to be Devo. Like uh, a futuristic version of Devo, which is weird because they're already kind of futuristic.
4: Oh, wow. Uh, so, so it kind of makes sense to put them.
0: Yeah. Uh, we, were, we were discussing starting off with uh, Fritz the Cat when it comes to animated movies, but we screwed that up by doing Star Chaser last month. So now we're just going to talk about whatever movie you want to in whatever order. Uh, so Heavy Metal I don't think would have been possible if it hadn't been for two major things uh, the success of Ivan Reitman and uh, you know because he's a producer on this if he hadn't been able to sell yes. meatballs and get stripes going I don't think it would have happened and two uh, the success of the Fritz uh, of Cat and other movies by um, I'm having a moment here who did it Ralph Bakshi. Ralph Boxy Bakshi. thank you I'm an idiot uh, I just embarrassed myself a little bit there. Um, and, you know, this is a period of time where fantasy and sci-fi were huge, especially it's like sword and sorcery and, like, outer space ideas, not just because of Star Wars. I think post-Vietnam, people were looking for an escape from the pain that our country was in. You know, oh, we lost the war, there was a depression, or I guess a recession, not a full-on depression, a recession, a recession, a recession. We went through so many, like, horrible things, you know, Nixon, and, uh, you know, we we had just gotten out of, like, um, the assassinations of major people and, you know, race wars and stuff like that, and we're looking for some sort of escape, and I think that's why fantasy and sci-fi really took off in the 70s, and we were more open to strange ideas. sci-fi... Uh, in the 70s and early 80s is a lot different than the way it is now. I think a lot of sci-fi now is very, very mainstream, easy to understand ideas, but back then I think we are taking ideas from like Europe. Their ideas were very expansive and strange and unique, and there's something very, um, I really like that that era of, that, of fantasy.
4: Oh yeah, no, definitely. I mean, this is when it's really coming into fruition, and people, you know, up to play around with special effects and oh gosh it eventually you know uh, progressing from like you know after star wars and let's see then came last starfighter yeah it, people just really started coming up with these great ideas
0: well one of the weirdest ones and of ever. course
4: always going to a uh, industrial light and magic those yeah. are the guys who were really you know bringing that to fruition
0: but um i think it was uh was i think i was watching crawl have you ever heard of that movie crawl
4: Yes, I I do I do know that movie. I love I actually love it. Yeah, Liam Neeson was in it.
0: That was one of those movies that combined fantasy with sci-fi. So you had lasers and robots mixed in with sword and sorcery and monsters, and it's one of those crazy ideas. I didn't get the movie when I first saw it. The movie's a huge flop, but it reminds me Sad. of when uh, sci-fi and fantasy were grasping at just really oddball ideas and letting them fly, and you know artists like Mobius and. Um, uh, Giger, we're trying out new things and I think back then we were open to something fresh and new where I think a lot of stuff now is like, oh, that's just repetitive. Oh, that's just uh, an homage to something we already know. There's nothing unusual now coming out. Or, or we're just not hearing about it.
4: Oh, of course, yeah. No, I know. It's kind of hard when everybody's just so focused on bringing all these like you know comic book you know adaptations to the big screen yeah but not too like, much originality Yeah, it's
0: not even the weird uh, comic books like judge Dredd is a fantastic idea that finally worked the second time around but uh i just feel like a lot of the comic ideas out there fun. are so bland and boring they're all
4: superheroes oh i know it is i mean don't get me wrong they're fantastic to watch and they're done very well it's just that we don't have enough originality and honestly looking at heavy metal this, I think, was one of the most original things to come out during the 80s. Yeah,
0: and it was R-rated. Uh, mind you, there's a lot of blood and guts, and there's some boobies. There's some nudity in this movie, so it is not meant for children whatsoever. And I kind of wish movies would do that more. It's only often. cartoon.
4: It's only cartoon boobs. They're not real. Yes, I Jeez. know. But, still, but I'm just saying, you know, they don't have that kind
0: of thing. Almost every animated movie now is PG. I've rarely ever seen anything as PG-13 or R. And that was kind of a fad around that time. You know, um, Fire and Ice kind of shamed, uh, shares the same idea.
4: Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I still, I'm not even sure if I've even watched Fire and Ice yet.
0: Oh, you gotta.
4: I mean, knowing Ralph Boxing and what he did with the Lord of the Rings uh, animated movie, I saw that before Two Towers and uh, Return of the King came out. So, yeah, I've pretty much known his work for quite a long while. He like I love how he just, like, takes, like, he models people, puts them into drawings, and then they get animated.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's rotoscoping.
4: Yeah. Oh no, it's a fantastic process. I know he got um, Billy Barty to play Samwise in the Lord of the Rings uh, belt um, animated movie.
0: I didn't know that. Well, we totally have to discuss that movie at some time. Um, so the directors on Heavy Metal, it's all different. Uh, each segment is a different director, different writer. It works just like the way right. the magazine, which is actually called uh, Metal Hurlant Chronicles, I believe, or just Metal Hurlant. Um, mm. overseas here it's called Heavy Metal but uh, you know it, it, it's an anthology book every once in a while they would come back to a character but for the most part each book would have like five stories in it and all doing with you know dealing with sci-fi fantasy stuff like that and uh, so that's the best way to do the movie that's the problem with the sequel is that it's all one story and that story is not strong enough to carry the whole movie they should have gone with anthology again um, now, you have not seen the second one, correct?
4: No, oh, I have. I mean, I saw it when I was younger. I was thinking about rewatching it, and then I also thought about doing crack, and I was like, eh, it's too expensive. <laughs> It'll take too much of my time. It might destroy my mind, so fuck it. <laughs> yeah, you
0: might as well skip it. Uh, I might revisit it someday, too, but I'm just not sure. Uh, so the director's on this. Uh, one of my favorite is Jimmy Murakami. He is not really well-known, but he did a movie for Roger Corman, which I absolutely love. Called Battle Beyond the Stars, which is basically taking Star Wars and The Magnificent Seven and putting them together, and it's a hell of a lot of fun.
4: Oh my God, really? I love. Oh my, holy shit!
0: Yeah, and I'm pretty that sure. Does John sound, Bruno, that sound, go
4: ahead. It does sound pretty fantastic. I mean, I love Magnificent Seven. That's my favorite western. <laughs> hell, I even loved Seven Samurai. Yeah. I actually watched Seven Samurai before, after, right after I saw Magnificent Seven in um, uh, film class in high school.
0: All right, so uh, have you seen all of the Magnificent Seven movies?
4: All of them? Yeah, there's four. I only I've seen, I've seen one. I haven't seen any of the other yeah, three. I didn't four even know. There's
0: movies. There's a TV show, and then um, this fall we're going to get the new Magnificent Seven with Denzel Washington and um, uh, who's the kid starring Jurassic World and Guardians of the Galaxy? Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Okay, sorry. There's like a lot of Chris's flying around right now. Like Chris Evans, Chris Pine, Chris Pratt. Yeah, so yeah, they're starring in the new Magnificent Seven.
4: What? Yes. Oh, that's that's awesome. (laughs) Pretty cool. Yeah.
0: All right, so the writers on this, Len Bloom, Dan O'Bannon, Daniel Goldberg, really great writers during that time. Uh, You'll probably know Dan O'Bannon's name because he is the co-writer of Alien, and he also is the writer-director of Return of the Living Dead. Uh, I believe he also wrote, um, I want to say that he wrote part of... They live? I think I have this right. I really wish my computer would work right, so when I click on names, it actually show me a fucking thing. Uh, for people who don't know, I've been spending the last year and a half in this desolate wasteland on the fucking corner of the universe where apparently the internet decides to work when it wants to work. And uh, So you're pretty much in the
4: Fallout 4. <laughs> yeah, and
0: I have the memory of a rabbit on crack, and basically it does not work whatsoever, so I may look at this earlier, be ball prepared, From now on, I think I'll take notes because I feel like I'm insulting the audience.
4: Okay, so quick question. Um, You said he was one of the writers or producers?
0: Dan O'Bannon was one of the writers. Uh, Len Bloom, uh, a lot of these guys were just like sci-fi writers and comedy writers who came together to do this uh, movie. And so that's why each one has a totally different feel than the next one. Uh, Sorry, not uh, They Live, it was Life Force. I don't know why I got the movies confused. The movie where, if you try to show it on television, it would be 20 minutes long because the main villain in the movie is a female who spends the entire movie, I kid you not, naked, nude, no, the entire movie. I don't think one second of the movie she's wearing clothes and just the whole thing. She's running through it naked and I'm just like, Canon Pictures didn't think this out by, <laughs> they're never going to be able to show this on television. So I bet you it was really popular on HBO. Uh, what's her name? Uh, I can't remember. Uh, you look up Life Force later. It's actually a lot of fun. Um, it's a very strange idea. Not another one of those movies where it was a sci-fi idea that the main studios didn't understand, but a foreign company said, hey, that sounds like something we could sell. Uh, All right, writer, hey. Yeah, Len the other writer I was talking about. He wrote Meatballs, Stripes. He worked on Heavy Metal. But he also did another movie for Ivan Reitman, which... Uh, coincidentally is paired with crawl on a double feature dvd called space hunter adventures in the forbidden zone
4: <laughs> was that part of, oh wait didn't Ivan Reitman he have to, um oh gosh what he wasn't he one of the directors of it was a uh, amazon women no 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 wait are you talking
0: something? about cuz you know he directed ghostbusters right
4: of course i do. Okay. i and <laughs> evolution just it out for a second and- there Amazon Women on the Moon, I think, was like... he. Direct, I thought he directed one of those segments. I
0: know John Landis is the main guy behind that, but I don't know if he popped in on that one.
4: I don't think he did. Either way, let's see. Now, back, now back to Heavy Metal. I mean, for real, it was great to see a different segment that this little green orb yes. did kind of revolve around.
0: Oh, that guy used I to mean, mean, uh, do a bunch of um, trailers. If you listen to the trailer for... Uh, my favorite is Creep Show too. Something about his voice just makes you so like uncomfortable. He used to do a bunch. His name is um, I believe Percy Rodriguez. He's the, yeah wow. the giant orb. I'm trying to remember if that's the guy because he used to do uh, tons and tons of trailers, and he has a very awesome voice. And then it jumps into uh, Harry Canyon, which is the detective story set in 2031, which is only 15 years from now. So obviously that's not going to happen.
4: Damn, never mind then. Don't, no, no hope for looking for that project.
0: <laughs> no. uh, I don't know if anybody noticed. Uh, the voice acting is actually brought a lot of guys over from SCTV. Uh, there's John Candy, Eugene Levy. Uh, who's the third person? Um, Harold Ramis does voice work for it. Joe Flaherty. Yes, he
4: does. Oh gosh, and you already said John Candy. I'm trying to think who else was in there that I knew was in that. Let's well, see.
0: There's John Vernon from Animal House. You know, Dean Wormer.
4: Yes, that's right. He was in that. Oh, gosh. I forget which character he played. I wonder. Yeah, there was Richard Romanes, Don Franks, uh, uh, oh. well, Jackie Burroughs, and August Schellenberg.
0: Oh, yeah. Canadian actor. Awesome guy. Uh, you don't see him very much anymore, but he was, he was a really good guy.
4: Oh, yeah. I know. He was definitely big in Free Willy.
0: All right. So, uh, was, uh, of the segments, what is your favorite?
4: That is a tough one.
0: Minus Captain Stern. There's something... uh, Captain Stern is obviously a terrible human being. Like, crazy charges brought against him. But there's something about the animation. I think part of it is because I like Bernie Wrightson so much, his artwork. Uh, He developed Captain Stern for the comics. And um, there's something very appealing about the way he designed the characters. And uh, my favorite line from it, I, I say it on a regular basis, is, I've got a plan, Stern. I don't know if you could hear that. I kind of like, Har, dar,
4: dar, dar. yeah, no, my favorite segment was definitely Den. I liked, you know, the original kind of hero story. It was pretty funny how, like, the, you know, this little, like, what, 12, 13 year old kid becomes this mighty hero, kind of like Shazam. Mm-hmm. And just that first segment, it's like, oh my God, there's no way I'm going to be hanging out around here with my dork hanging out. It's like, this <laughs> total nerd becomes like badass, you know, muscle man. Oh, man. Now Tana Plus, is know, probably
0: uh, the most well known of all the shorts, but it's not my favorite. Which one? Uh, Tana, the very last segment, the Warrior Girl.
4: Oh yes, you're right. Of course, Tana. That is the most iconic. I think that was definitely the most iconic logo and look for this movie. She look. She. I. It's like honestly, if Lita Ford was a Warrior uh, character, that would it would definitely be. That's what she, she would look like. Yeah.
0: And it's a pretty good ending sequence. It's action-packed. It looks beautiful. But something about the story just couldn't grab me. Um, what was I thinking of? There was a South Park episode where they parody this. Do you remember that? Where it's like uh, Kenny's tripping, and he thinks he's in the movie the whole episode?
4: I I don't know. I'll have to look it up. <laughs>
0: it's a pretty good episode. Uh, they've been trying to remake this, actually, for a while now. David Fincher, I think, holds holds the rights. But he can't get anybody to finance it. It was only going to be $50 million, and at one time he had James Cameron attached to it, Guillermo del Toro, Zack Snyder, Gore Verbinski, and yet nobody would greenlight it.
4: Seriously, all those directors, all those great visual fan, you know, and fantastic directors cannot get that movie going? Yeah, I mean, they even had Seriously. Jack Black
0: attached to uh, write one of those sketches, or one of the shorts. I know, and nobody, it was only $50 million, you know it would make its money back, and now, um, I, I looked it up, uh, Robert Rodriguez actually holds the rights for this and Fire and Ice, so I don't know if, um, Motherfucker. if he's going to be able to do them or not. I can't, I don't understand why I have the word hold, 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 I can't say the word no. hold, hold,
4: hold, 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 hold. 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 the cantaloupe
0: <laughs> ate a pineapple, the cantaloupe
4: huh. ate a pineapple, Holly hates (laughs) hieroglyphic deciphering.
0: Ferraris parked in the air hangar. Ferrari.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, honestly, if Robert Rodriguez wants to revive his career, he's gonna have to do something. Like he's gonna have to, you know, make those movies. Dude,
0: he's in serious trouble. I mean, he hasn't had a hit ever, and I don't know how. He, he's going to have to attach himself to something. But he does this all the time. He it's was going to do years. John Carter. Remember, he was going to do John Carter for like $50 million bucks. He was going to do Zorro, and it didn't happen. Um, he was going to do Fire and Ice, and I haven't heard anything. The Jetsons. He keeps attaching himself to these projects, and nothing happens. He keeps doing these low-budget, boring-ass movies that everybody thinks, oh, they're so cool, and then they come out, and they're like, that was shit.
4: Exactly, like Sin City 2. I thought that was going to be awesome. But no, it was fucking boring. Machine he just—I I think people, I think people just don't have confidence in him anymore because nah. he's just not—he he doesn't need to not stop making movies. He just needs to make better ones. Yes, you know, that's it, right. he can't yeah. be all that stupid macho fucking bullshit that he tries to portray in every single one of his movies.
0: Now, Heavy Metal was marred by the fact that it had a soundtrack that was not cleared for future use. This sat on the shelf for, I believe, 15 years of surviving solely on midnight movie revivals. That was it. And nobody could get the movie out. Finally, in 1997, I think, is when they cleared the rights and they got it out on VHS. And I saw it for the first time and it blew my mind. I just wish the sequel did not suck so much.
4: And yeah, no, it It did have a fucking awesome soundtrack, the first movie. The second one, it did get a little heavy. Like, you know, the soundtrack did get heavier. But the, like you said, the story just dragged. It was too slow. It was just one segment.
0: Well, I think part of the problem is Kevin Eastman, the co-creator of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, he bought the rights to heavy metal. And his wife was Julie Strain. And basically, he made an entire movie as a love letter to her. And she's not a strong enough character or an actress I mean, she's basically just a pretty tall lady with big boobs, and you can't really focus a whole movie on that, especially one that expensive. If it's a low-budget Roger Corman movie for like half a million dollars, you're good. A $15 million movie? No!
4: (laughs) Yeah, no, wait, who the hell's Julie Julie Strain? She
0: was a penthouse girl, and then she somehow connected with people on home video back when porno was hard to get, so you had to rent movies with like... um, shannon tweed and shannon worry another lady's name shannon and then julie Strain.
4: gene so gene simmons is a girlfriend girlfriend
0: yes gene simmons's wife girlfriend whatever she is she did oh, uh probably two dozen like nudie movies which would always have like some sort of thin plot and some aging star like james brolin embarrassing himself and that's that's <laughs> and they were directed video like huge hits wow all right, so I think that brings us to the end of this episode. It's a little shorter than usual. That's where we are with these movies. Um, heavy metal, I say, highly recommend. Skip the second one.
4: Yes, no, dude. I, honestly, you could, honestly, I'd re, uh, you could watch *Beauty and the Beast* or you know, <laughs> what? freaking. I would highly recommend that than watching the second one.
0: All right, that's a weird reference. You were actually the second person on this podcast to recommend *Beauty and the Beast* in, in instead of some other piece of shit.
4: Beautician in the Beast with Fran Drescher.
0: Yes, weird. It's it's such a random movie. All right, everybody. Uh, this is <laughs> Michael saying good night. Check us out on Facebook under Back in Tunes. And Jacob, how do we set out every episode?
4: Namaste and good luck, you guys.
0: Good night, everybody.
2: In the morning, I turn on my TV. Weather says it's gonna rain all week. Get in my car and I head off to work, and everybody on the road is a flaming freaking jerk. Get cut off twice by an SUV swerving in my lane. I get a clip and a a dirty look, and other strangers hate it. I can't explain. I'm so hard to deal with. Why does everybody? So hard to deal with Why does everybody Want to mess with me Get to my job And my boss is in my ear He tells me I'm a worker Not a peer But I can't help it If I've got better ideas Why does no one recognize What I've known for years Tell me I've got a bad attitude, my future's not too bright. I get a pissed off like a dirty look, And I never even had a chance to fight. Politics for and household chores. There's no rest when you can't ignore the truth. I'm just saying what's on my mind, but it turns into a struggle every time. I'm not saying I'm better, just that everyone else seems worse. Man, it is so hard living with this, living with. Why does everybody want to mess with me? I'm the nicest guy you'd ever want Means still everyone's offended Every time I speak I'm so hard to deal with Why does everybody want to mess with me? Stinky Change my shirt, the doorbell rings. My girl's waiting there, looking forward to an evening in. Yeah. She steps inside and the nose wrinkles up and her eyes get small. I get a pissed-off lecture and a dirty look, and she leaves me there, standing in the hall. I'm so hard to deal with. Why does everybody So hard to deal with, why does everybody